And we're back. I'm James. This is the Gwiz Fan Podcast. I'm Brent. I'm Mike. I'm James. No Luke tonight. Where do you think he is? He's Luke. Talk normal. Um, <laughs> what did you What did you say to me when I told you Luke was going to be sick tonight? Is there going to be no beer? <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what he said when I said Luke was sick. <laughs> Luke's sick. Oh, no. Who will have the beer? I, I, I don't know what that says about all of us. Hey, buddy, have you caught any good basketball games lately? Yeah. Yeah? Do you think that we're going to beat Weber on Thursday? Yeah. All right. Who's your favorite player on the Grizz basketball team right now? Um, DJ Carter and and Tammy Falls. All Ooh. right, those are both good guys. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you think the listeners should know about? I don't know. So, okay. so actually, James, we we put out questions for people to ask us for to answer, and someone had a question for you. What? How many girls are going to get Valentine's gifts from you on Friday? Mm. Um. <laughs> Probably seven. Seven? Seven? Oh, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> awesome, good, buddy. Good on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. Thanks for uh, thanks for helping us open the show. Right. So you heard uh, James say it. No Luke because he's sick, but that's all right. Um, uh, which I guess a, a history making <laughs> moment for us here is it? We kind our last of. guest we interviewed over um, Zoom. Yep. Mm. But we have Coulters here sitting at the, uh, uh, you know, lovely Grizz Fan Pod Studios, a.k.a. my dining room table. <laughs> um, you know, it's the, only the best for the Grizz Fan Pod. Um, and we're going to kind of jump around, obviously talk about current events in, in Grizzly Athletics and the Big Sky and also mix in a little bit of a, a interview with Coulter and how he's kind of got to where he's at with Skyline and ESPN and things like that. So, um, Coulter. Glad you're with us. I'm impressed by your guys' equipment. It's the, sweet, man. The best I mean, this, money you can spend. This on is like Amazon. the second best radio equipment in all of Missoula, behind what we have at Missoula Broadcasting. <laughs> Shots fired at the corporations. I think that'll be a theme of the night. Uh, no, this is. Uh, but it's on my. No, list. this is this is cool though. I think that this is awesome. This is. How did you guys learn about this? Like, how did you guys learn what you guys needed? Well, you guys got, like, good stuff. You guys got XLRs, and you yeah. guys got Mixer and all this. Brent, uh, so, Brent is a researcher. <laughs> yeah. So last year, we shouted into an iPad. Literally, all season. <laughs> and it was we recorded on GarageBand on the iPad. Right. For the 2018 so, season. Yeah, so every 15 minutes, we'd have to stop. And cut and it. And reset it. And reset. Huh? And then Luke would go home and, like, four or five days later because it was just a pain in the butt to do. And one time he just never did it. <laughs> so the off season, we got to talking about doing this. And so we actually started talking to other podcasts, big sky network type podcast people. And they're like, Oh, you got to get this Yamaha type soundboard. Or you got to do that. I, I just thought we were going to buy just a little digital recorder that had some microphone inputs. But sure. then I was like, Oh, well you need to get XLR mark microphones because they work better. You need to get this board so you can mix, and then you need all these extra inputs in case you have guests or you want to, yep. you know, put call in and stuff. And so here we are. You guys could do like remote broadcasts like we do on Two Tail and the I love it. That's a sweet recorder too. We have that's the same one we have too. You guys don't have the fuzzy little hat though. No. On this guy on the end. Yeah, though. we have like this fuzzy hat that goes on the end. So this recorder went to Weber, 
Mm. The playoff game, mm. and we were gonna we were gonna get video, but it was dumping rain and snowing the whole time. So you guys were gonna we try to do a pot on the way back, or like well, just catch some clips. We were just okay. gonna we were just like starting to get drunk, and it was like, hey, let's <laughs> run around and let's run around and talk to Grizz fans while we're partying. And then like the game happened, and we didn't really feel like talking to people afterwards. Yeah, so. what a disheartening ending to a season, right? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I've already covered this. I can't talk about yeah. it again. <laughs> Except that yeah, since still we recorded morning. last, I mean, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you you saw this, but I somehow, some way, found the only Idaho State fan on <laughs> social media. Um, because you, this guy, Coulter, this guy is hilarious. Yeah, too. you tweeted out that Jay Constantine was or whatever was yeah transferring in the transfer from Weber, portal. Yeah, and I like quoted it and was like. I said something like, this really bums me out because I was hoping to destroy him next year. I was hoping we would destroy him next year in the playoffs. Meaning like, the Grizz don't play him in the regular season. I hope they get another chance. I I think all rational people understood what I meant. But this ISU guy just like latched on to... He thought you like were going to like wanted him to be Serious violence. (laughs) I mean, isn't he wearing like a Legion of Doom spiked shoulder pads with orange? I don't know this guy. I hope he's not listening. Or maybe I hope he is. I don't know. Either way, I admire your passion. I don't know about your outfit. But... (sighs) The uh, the Twitter picture is all things uh, intimidating and hilarious and uh, yeah it was, I saw the little back and forth he was quite aggressive at he you. was aggressive and then he'd be like trying to be like dude why are you coming at me it's like funny like, <laughs> you said it I wanted to kill Jay Constantine yeah. <laughs> the the most interesting thing to me this is why I love you guys because you guys are really dedicated fans you guys are passionate fans you travel around. You think about the Grizz all the time, talk about the Grizz all the time, yet you still have a sense of reality. Most of the time. Twitter is crazy because it (laughs) shows full display, like the lack of sense of reality that so many people have. Brian McLaughlin from Hero Sports has put out his recruiting rankings. Oh, man. Garbage. And people are just going, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Brent's and one of them. No, no, no. no I, yeah. Well, I mean, I said this on Two Tail Nuanas earlier today. I mean, the Montana schools, I think, are just completely abstained from the recruiting rankings because it doesn't work. Half the dudes in Mon- you're going to get are from Montana, and none of those dudes are ranked, and none yeah. of those dudes have offers from anywhere else. I mean, what would Troy Anderson be as a recruit if he grew up in Los Angeles? What would Garrett Graves be as a recruit if he yeah. grew up in Seattle? You know, like those guys are like four star guys if they go to the right camps, but they live in Eureka and Dillon. <laughs> See, what we need to do is we need you to get that guy on Bobcat Nation, Vim or whatever. I don't know what his name is. I, I did. I've been trying to figure out who he actually you, you is forever. To, I've offered him a job. I was, I was like, just going to say, I was like, bro, you, you are the best recruiting dude you, in the history of Montana. And put stars out on these guys yeah, and then totally. submit them to Brian McLaughlin. So I had, I had that role. And I know we're going to get into my old, my whole evolution, but I had a board like that in 2013, but that was because the old recruiting coordinator at Montana state used to feed me like the actual scouting service on all these uh-huh. guys. And then, I, and then they had individual camps I could go to and actually evaluate guys. And mm-hmm. it just, this process isn't the same as it used to be. But anyways, as far as crazy fans go, I just think it's so funny how everybody in sports now buys the notion that what's new is what's best. Like what is, what is now is what's best. Everybody's the greatest athlete that's ever been. Mm-hmm. Every recruiting class, the best ever. Some guy on here was ripping Brian apart saying this is the most talented recruiting class in Eastern Washington history. It's like, bro, do you understand that you guys once had a recruiting class that had Cooper Cup, Kendrick Bourne, Shaq Hill, and Samson Ebucom, who all started games in the NFL? <laughs> like, I pump the brakes. I, don't, I think it's going to be pretty hard to top that class. That's fair. That's a very, that's a very fair uh, statement. It's recency bias. It is. Um, 
Speaking of Eastern Washington, let's we'll we'll talk uh, some current b-ball events. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there was quite the game at the uh, Adams Center last Thursday. I was out of town, so I was following it on Twitter, mm. which was a bummer. James was there. Um, I was sitting right across from your seats. I did not see you. I was wondering why you were absent from class. A- absent. <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole different conversation in my seats, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, what was it, 55 fouls? I think 56 was the end total. Yeah, 29 of them on the home team. So Wonderful. it just feels like that's like that was the pinnacle of the last four or five games for Montana where it's yep. like just been building up. And obviously, you know, Montana getting called for so many fouls every game, part of that is they play aggressive defense. Totally. But I think the other part of it is in a conference like the Big Sky, it seems like teams that play aggressive defense get punished in a way that teams that don't play aggressive defense don't. It's like they get away with stuff. Um, But from the outside looking in, it seemed like the the refs had no control over that game. Definitely. Um, But we've heard some people say that, you know, it's hard being a ref and yada, yada. So I just kind of wanted your take on that. Well, as far as what you're saying, as far as some teams get officiated differently because of their aggression and stuff like that, to me, I wish it was even that consistent. The In the women's league, the women's league is still Big Sky Conference officials, right? So yeah, the, the yeah. officials only do Big Sky Conference games. So you, when you looked at the Cat Grizz women's game, all three of those officials – I've seen do tons of games, including championship games. Now, granted, I know one of those officials and Trisha Binford have butted heads for years. I know another one of those officials and all things Lady Grizz, whether it was Robin Selvig or Shannon Schwain, have butted heads for years. Those sort of relationships exist in basketball, certainly. But that crew had officiated the players in the Montana State-Montana women's basketball game many times. They know the styles that Montana-Montana State play. Ever since the men, I think it was three or maybe four years ago, went to the Western Officiating Consortium, which is basically a pool of officials that draws from all the leagues in the West, the Big Sky, the Big West, the Mountain West, the Pac-12. Is there another one? At least those – oh, the West Coast Conference. The West Coast, yeah. Yeah, Those five leagues, they draw from all those leagues. So, on one hand, that means you get better or, I guess, more – prestigious officials sometimes (laughs) that doesn't mean anything to me though for example the crew that did the eastern washington game on thursday night those guys are if you were to rank the officials in the western consortium considered probably b plus to a minus guys they're consistently doing mountain west and oftentimes doing pac-12 games really that's why they're so bad when they come to dahlberg arena they're not used oh, to the environment, and they've never officiated these players or these teams or these coaches. That's why, in this cruelest irony, the Big Sky joining this consortium has actually made the officiating degrade for two reasons. One, you get even you get like high-ranking crews that don't know the teams, but you also then sometimes get the bottom of the barrel because the way that it works is. The officials with the highest clout, if they want to work a game, they get to pick the game. So say it's Oregon, Oregon oh. State that night, the best crew in the West is going to go to that They're game. They're going to go to that game. Okay. But it, on a Thursday night when all the Western leagues are playing, oftentimes you're going to get the you really are going to get the worst officials in the in the whole pool to come to Montana because on a Thursday night, who really wants to fly into Bozeman or Missoula when it's going to be hard travel? It's expensive. It's bad roads. 
getting out of there is going to be tough. Sometimes your flight might get delayed. And then you're sometimes say you're doing it's a Idaho State Montana State game bottom half of the Big Sky. Oh it's God. not so you, you really are going to get the worst <laughs> officials. And so that's the thing that drove me crazy. That's why I thought that game last week was out of control because they don't those officials they didn't understand how what the styles were, how the players move. That's why you see what you're talking about. The Grizz do play an exceptionally physical style of defense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But if they get a crew that's used to them, it'll it, it will go a lot differently than if they don't. And that's where the disparity exists so much. In the Cactus men's game, for example, oh, Harold worry. Frey shot 14 free throws in the first half. if they breathed, if on, they breathed him, on him, he yeah, gets he a call, foul, right? Yeah. yeah. But then, a, a week later in Cheney, exactly. he gets thrown to the ground and gets and not nothing. one call, and he scores a career-low four points. And you can't tell me that Eastern is that much less physical than Montana was. That's what I'm saying. They just that, got out of this game. But where, that's what I'm yeah. saying. You have a crew that probably was way more familiar with the way that Eastern plays as opposed to the crew that has no familiarity with Montana that we have whatsoever. Here. Wow. Mm-hmm. So come conference tournament time, do they just do they bring in a couple crews and just lock so that that's, in? So that's that's why the conference tournament's so much better officiated, because only the people that want to be there can be will oh, be there because okay. they claim spots. So there's going to be guys that have way more familiarity with it. Also, every single coach gets I don't know if it's I can't remember if it's one or two, but they get to vote for one or two refs that cannot be there. <laughs> and so everybody will throw out their least favorite guys, and then as the conference tournament goes along. Every most games have an observer at a game, and okay, so the, okay. the refs with the highest rankings then get to do it. So when you're watching the Big Sky Championship games, those are the te- the that's two correct. sets of refs that got the highest test scores, as they would say. Okay, huh. so that's why it actually does get better. But I think the point that's worth making more than anything is I think that Travis DeCure said this after the game on Thursday. He he said that I don't think people realize how special what we have in Missoula is. The Grizz are not drawing like they did last year. I think they're averaging high 3,000s. Last year they were averaging about 4,800. Mm-hmm. It's still great. It's yeah. Great crowds. But what people don't understand is most gyms across the West, there's nobody there. There's Gonzaga. There's Utah State. But, like, right now, UCLA's not drawn. I mean, even if they have a 12,000-person stadium, it's half full. Mm-hmm. USC, like all the Pac-12s, rivalry games, certainly, you know, Oregon-Washington or the Civil War-Oregon State – those atmospheres are, are are good every once in a while, but as far as like an actual raucous environment, almost every game, University of Montana is one of maybe eight or ten schools in the whole West. <laughs> That's where I think the refs get derailed more than anything. They can't handle the environment. They can't handle the the place, which is crazy because they're in the Pac-12. Right, but I don't think that there's. I mean, I don't know. These, I, but you're saying these guys, like the guys we had for Eastern, most likely aren't in the Pac-12. Right, but even if they more are, what I'm saying is that the the ho-hum Pac-12 game isn't like it is at Dahlberg Arena. And that's what we take for granted, I think. That everybody's got an intense environment. Well, I just, I mean, I saw the highlights of, of was it Owens getting the technical dunking? Or was it? Yeah, it was Owens got the t- right before right the before half. halftime. Yeah. And I mean, that, like, I, like, the only reason a ref calls that is he's caught up in the moment. Because he didn't, I mean, like, he didn't do a pull-up. He didn't, I mean, yeah. come on. Totally. I got somebody said this. This guy sent this to me on Twitter. He I don't know who this is. Clicksby, yeah, uh, yeah, a Grizz fan twenty four. Do you know right? who this guy is? Yeah, he gives us a lot of stuff for the for the pod. Quite okay. A bit. So he, Clicksby he, used to be an official, I guess, and he said, "I read this whole thread. I thought it was very well done, very uh, fascinating." With the part that stood out to me the most, he said, "The worst officials or the worst officiating situations, which sometimes included myself, had a difficult time separating style, opponent, and location." 
And when that happens, you lose the flow and you're always constantly fighting to get back to homeostasis where your impact isn't over or underfelt in a game. That's where the guys on Thursday lost control. Mm -hmm. They started calling the freedom of motion fouls immediately. When you do that and you don't realize that these two teams, like, they don't actually hate each other, but they sports hate each other and it's Mm -hmm. going to be a battle. Now to maintain balance, you have to keep one-upping it. And the other thing is that they just didn't understand the personalities. They didn't under like if you were a crew that really knew that rivalry, you would remember when Kim Aiken clotheslined Saeed Pridget yeah. at the Big Side Tournament last year. You would remember when the game ended with Kim Aiken having Donovan Dorsey in a headlock in Missoula last year. You would remember these rivalries, and so you would co- pull these guys aside and say, "Hey guys, here's the deal: if you screw around, you're getting thrown out." Mm-hmm. And and I just feel like they didn't do that. Kim Aiken seems to be in the middle of everything. He, I mean, he is. He's one of my favorite players in the Big Sky. Well, <laughs> great. That's fine. But you love characters. Like, I, you yeah, love, I do. You love yeah, characters. That's, that's, here's, here's, here's the, the here's, media looking for the, no, 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 no. Here, Here's the we thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. The number one thing that I think is missing in sports. The embracing of being a villain. Think about all the guys we watched, especially in the NBA growing up. Mm-hmm. Reggie Miller never gave a shit that people didn't like him. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. He played the villain to the max. Dennis Rodman, villain to the max. Now everybody's worried about their brand. Everybody wants everybody to like him. If you don't like me, you're just a hater. Screw you. That's this noise. Fair. Kim Aiken's a great villain, man. I, Shante Leggins would tell you, he is absolutely volatile. He is a liability, no doubt, when he's not, <laughs> when he's not locked in or when he's putting Donovan Dorsey in a headlock. It's not good. It's not a good situation. That part, I think they do boil it over sometimes too much. But on the other hand, when he's locked in, I mean, he's second in the league in three-point shot made while being the, also the leading rebounder in the league. That's the most rare combination you can find. A six-eight power forward who can lead the league in rebounding and still shoot threes and be the defensive enforcer. I don't know. I, th- I, I think that guy is a great character for sure. I get why Grizz fans don't like him. It's the same thing with Leggins. You don't like Shante Leggins, No, right? I really like Shante okay. Leggins. No, I like him too, but a lot of Grizz because, fans don't. Because he loves the atmosphere. And he looks around and he interacts with the fans behind the bench yep. and he likes it. See, and, you know. and I said this on Two Tell Nuanas. There's coaches, and, and don't get me wrong, Brian Fish, I consider a friend of mine. I thought he uh, was a great guy to hang out with on a personal level. Mm-hmm. I love talking hoops with him. During game day, I thought that the way that he operated and how he just screamed down his players' throats at Montana State was incredibly distracting and it really hindered their team. I thought that <laughs> it, it really held them back. I think there's a lot of guys in the league that have screamed down their players' throats, and it's not productive. The thing that I think that so many fans miss is that Shante Leggins never screams at his players. He screams at the atmosphere mm-hmm. to take all the pressure off of his players. <laughs> I think Fair. it's such a great tactic. In Missoula, he's grandstanding the whole time <laughs> because he wants his players to display. He wants everyone to watch him, and I think it's so good. it makes his players so confident. I mean, he's arguably the second best coach in the conference right now, right? I, I would I, say he's up there, certainly. I mean, because both him and Travis... I thought for a second him, you were going to pull some hot take. That he's the best? Bullshit, no, that he's oh, the best. No, 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 God, no. Oh, that no, Coulter was. No, oh, yeah. no, <laughs> no, I know I you say, weren't. Montana and Eastern have met in the conference tournament two years in a row, and I mean, it's tough to say, but sure. it kind of looks like they're headed that way again. Yeah, there's a possibility. Got, there's a long ways to go, but... <clears throat> I think that yeah. so much of ranking coaches is about... What is what is your fit at your place, and how do you take advantage of it? Yeah, yeah. I think Travis is – I think he's the best coach in the league, period. But I think he's also the best coach in the league for embracing the fit. That's why I am so – I know Grizz fans are worried about him leaving because what will happen to the program when he does, I'm not sure. But, I mean, history says that they'll pass it on to somebody within the program and they'll be just fine. But 
I think that the advantages that he personally has here are almost greater than almost anywhere that he could even go. It's the money that's going to be the hard part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So how come, going back to that Eastern game, I mean, obviously a cheerleader touched a player. Right. And they threw her out. No, they they threw him out because they thought thought he was her. But it was her who did it. Right. So two things. One, I kind of assume based on the fact that we've heard (laughs) nothing from the big sky about this, that they don't actually care. I don't think so. (laughs) Um, But so that comes to my second point. How come in that situation the refs don't stop and look at film? It's a good question. I mean, they didn't call a technical on the crowd either. No, it was just because, I mean, it's like if that happened, why wouldn't they? It was a Montana cheerleader. Right. Why wouldn't they call a technical? Right. Well, I don't think those guys even knew what was going on. They just called a technical on a dunk that didn't need to happen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like there were five technical fouls that game. I mean, it's like there's six, in fact. Six. Six. I mean, you can go a whole season (laughs) and not see six. Well, it's like Shantae told me. I mean, Coach Leggins. He was standing on the, on the court. Like, ripped his tie and off. Ripped his tie off before they finally gave him a tee. He told me after the game, he's like, dude, I was begging for a tee from like the 12-minute mark. I was, <laughs> I wanted to get a technical foul to take it off of my players, and they wouldn't give me one. So finally when he's stomping on the grizz head and getting undressed, they finally give him one. <laughs> but like, I, just, I think to answer your question, I just think those guys just didn't really have any idea what was going on. I mean, I think they just couldn't handle the moment. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so on the, like the, the greater perspective of Grizz hoops, did you think that this program with this roster was going to be at this point, like sitting on top of the conference and in a, in a pretty good spot to win the regular season? I picked Montana to win the league. You did. Okay. I did. I, uh, when I went and watched them play Montana state Northern and it took them till the last four minutes to pull away. I was regretting my vote when I watched them lose to Montana tech. To I, tech. Thought, oh I was going to say, we were recording a pod that night. Yeah. And James we went with they lost his tech. grandpa yeah. and he came home and was like, they lost. And we were all like, to who? I was for real. <laughs> I was straight up sitting at your family establishment, paradise falls, writing, uh, Weber state. I think it was a Weber state that was a Weber state that week. I was writing some sort of Grizz football lead up story. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to keep watching Twitter. When there's like five minutes left, I'll just run down the school, get some, you know, quick Montana Tech audio. <laughs> and then it was, they lost. And I was like, I don't even know how I want to go down there. Travis is going to probably have him in the locker room for like two hours after this. <laughs> so I didn't, I, but I also think that was a, an eye opener for them. And I think Absolutely. that, uh, I don't know. I mean, anybody that listens to that two-tail in the lawn, especially in the summer when we're talking about the NBA, I'm always, always, always railing on how in basketball it's not a video game. You can't just have all the good players. You have to have yeah. roles. The last two years they've had an insane amount of talent. They brought their, they brought both their Pac-12 transfers off the bench. That's how much talent that they had. But that's not necessarily a good thing because when Ahmad Roy's got the ball, that means Michael Ogini doesn't. That's not good. When Michael Ogini's got the ball, that means Ahmad Roy doesn't. That's not good either. When Donovan Dorsey's playing 18 minutes off the bench, he ain't happy. And when Cam, I mean, Kendall Manuel started at Oregon State, he's not going to be thrilled with coming to be the seventh man for the Grizz. I mean, the I think there was way more chemistry issues, not necessarily even from a personality standpoint, but just from a basketball chemistry standpoint last year that people realized. I think that's why you had Jamar Coe basically wave the white flag, didn't want to come back. You had – and those guys were just ready to be done playing basketball with each other by yeah. the end of the year. Hmm. This year's team, not even close to as talented. I think the hierarchy of roles is so much better. Hmm. They have one leader, Saeed Pridget. Saeed, yeah. They got one shooter, Kendall Manuel. 
They got one little pesky defender, Timmy Falls. They got the energy guy, Mac Anderson. They got their three freshmen who all filled roles. That's the other thing I'll give Travis so much credit for. This day and age, if you recruit freshmen, if they're going to be red shirts or they're going to be bench players, they're probably not very good. And if they're going to be the other, they're going to be something else besides that, they're going to be good, then they probably are going to have egos. These kids don't have either. Hmm. But Josh Vasquez went from starting to yeah, playing 13 minutes a game. Interesting. And then he plays 33 minutes against Idaho <laughs> and scores 13 points. And he's ready to roll no matter what. And he's yeah. not he's not bitching to Mona and he's ready to roll. Derek Carter-Hollinger, sometimes he's in the starting lineup, sometimes he's not. Kyle Owens, sometimes he's in the starting lineup, sometimes he's not. So I think that this team just has a way better definition of roles, and I think that's why they flow way better, even if they – I mean, five on five they wouldn't beat last year's team. But that doesn't matter. I think that they're more appealing to watch. I think their ceiling's a lot higher, just in terms of within the scope of this league. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, so Weber, they, obviously they beat Idaho. Have you noticed that it seems like every game – to, even if the Grizz win, they have an opponent who has a career night. They change year. their defense. That's on purpose. Oh, so they basically for, let one guy. So forever, of... forever they ran that high hedge, right? It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the old pack line defense. So high ball screen, the big guy shows, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a pseudo trap, and then the big guy trails. And you're making the team reverse the ball all the way to the corner before everybody recovers. And then you always play your long guy on the backside so he can close out on the corner shooter. Well, they scrapped a lot of that because for a couple reasons. First of all, Jared Samuelson's a pick-and-pop stretch five. He's not a traditional five. So he's he's better off just denying in the post and fighting down there. He's not going to be able to have the athleticism to trap. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr, Hollinger, Mac Anderson, their biggest kryptonite is foul trouble. So yeah. you can't run that defense because you can't risk either of those guys just getting a foul just because of a hip check. I mean, how many times did Jamar Coe have to go sit on the bench yeah, good point. in two minutes because <laughs> of a cheap hip check foul, oh, right? Oh, yeah. But they, they don't have the depth to do that this year. They're only playing seven, so they can't do it. And so – like Travis said, against Easter Washington, they knew Jacob Davidson was going to go off. He's going to get 20, but their whole goal was to not let little Jack Perry or the other little shooter shoot open shots. Because when those guys each hit four threes, that's when Easton scores 90. That's when you lose. Mm-hmm. It's like Idaho. They were trying to shut down Trayvon Allen in the first half, and that other kid hit four threes, and Idaho goes to the locker room with the lead. Well, then they completely shifted it, yep. and they say, okay, Timmy, we're not going to help you. You just make him work. But, yes, I mean, they gave up 31 to Jared Carding. They gave up 39 to Holland Woods. They gave up 37 to Harold Frey, 34 to Jacob Davidson, <laughs> and 36 to Trayvon Allen. They went 4-1 in those games. Yeah. I mean, can't argue with it. Yeah. Right? right. Whatever works. The dog um, stinks. Just <laughs> Pod dog over Pod here. dog. Um, <clears throat> likes to hang out with everybody. Ate some curry. So... <laughs> um, I'm not going there. Uh, so Weber Thursday, and then who Saturday? Idaho State. Uh, Idaho State. State yeah. Okay, interesting. I, they got to have revenge on their. I mind was after that. I kind was of a say, meltdown at Weber because we watched. You know, we watched that game downstairs here, and oh my god, like they should have won against Weber. I know, and yeah, I mean, you talk about that. They got tested on us in that game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Weber decided, all right, we're not going to trap or double Bridget. That Bridget Bridget's. Stat, if, if Pridgett scores 30 or more, I could bet you that the Grizz will lose 90% of those games. Because when Pridgett's at his when Pridgett's at his best is when he draws double teams because he used to be a high school point guard. He's a phenomenal facilitator. Yeah. He's, he's their leading assist guy. Saeed Pridgett, when he goes 24, 8, and 8, that's when, he's, that's when they're unbeatable. Mm-hmm. That game, he, sh- he shot 29 shots to get 33 points. 
they were just singling him up, and he hit a, he hit like four in a row, so he's feeling it. And mm-hmm. then even then, if he hadn't made two mistakes in the last three minutes, they, they still, right they win. But but he but, settled for that little baseline seventeen yep. footer like four times. Yep, and that's what killed him. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I mean, that's modern day basketball, though, right? Oh yeah. You trade. I mean, Side Pridgett is such a phenomenal player, but he he's a very below average three point shooter, and he's a terrible free throw shooter. And when you got Cody John and Jared Harding, you're going to trade threes for twos all day. Yeah. Like every time Pridgett hits a two, Harding hits a three, and all of a sudden you win by two by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting gears a little bit to the ladies, just for a second. Uh, Shannon um, Twain is uh, lame duck, right? Yep. Um, one-year contract. One-year contract. Obviously, they're better than they have been. Um, they're beating bad teams, all the bad teams. And I mean, the league's terrible. Yep, they're putting themselves in the you know upper. Yeah, they got a winning record, thirteen and nine. You know, upper upper third, For whatever upper it's worth. Yeah. Um, but they don't seem to be making a ton of progress against the best, of the best. Um, their fourth quarter against Montana State was one of the worst quarters of basketball I've seen. Um, do you think that Shannon's done enough to earn another contract, or do you think that they need to show that they can beat one or two of these good teams? Man, where do you start? I mean, right now, NAU's alone in second place in the league, and the Gladiators beat them. So that's their best win. It wasn't a win of any sort of consequence at first because it was the very first Big Sky win, and everybody thought, oh, NAU's NAU. NAU, yeah. Well, they've, I think NAU's won 9 of 11 since then, and they are sitting alone in second place in the league. So that actually looks like a great win now. Montana's loss to Northern Colorado at home was a terrible loss. Northern Colorado's terrible. Northern Colorado, when Cammie Etheridge left to go to Washington State, I mean, not only did Savannah Smith, who's one of the great players in the history of the league, graduate, but they had multiple girls enter the transfer portal, and they don't have really anything. And so that was a bad loss for Lady Grizz. Their win, or I, I thought the Idaho State loss at home was not a good one. But then recently, I mean, they've won four out of five. And, I mean, Weber State is one of the worst teams in the country. I think they're the bottom 20 in RPI in the whole entire country. The Portland State win is okay. Your comments about Montana State, spot on. I also thought the fact that they just they kind of rode the momentum of an incredibly gimmicky defense that they basically just made up to play the Cats. <laughs> And, I mean, Mackenzie Johnson said after the game, our game plan was to let Montana State's shooters shoot, and we were going to start guarding them if they started making them. <laughs> and Montana State, for the second time in three years at Dahlberg Arena, was scared, and they couldn't make shots. Mm-hmm. And But the difference between this Bobcat team and so many others is that this team plays defense, and they rebound. And that's what brought them back. And then the Lady Grizz, they're – I mean, 0 for 15 in the fourth quarter is horrible to watch. But they responded, and they swept this last weekend, including beating a really good Idaho team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're at home. Mm-hmm. That's why I struggle so much with evaluating this team. First of all, I'll tell you this. Women's basketball is the sport I've covered the longest in the Big Sky Conference. My first beat at the Montana Cayman in, when I was a sophomore in college was the Lady Grizz. Robin Selvig taught me as much about basketball as he did about being a reporter there is nobody that doesn't like a dumb question less than Robin Selvig. <laughs> and so when I was a student reporter, this was – I mean, it's crazy. That was only 14 or 15 years ago, and time, it was just so much different times. I, I, I remember there was no real organized press or anything. I remember I called his secretary, Julie Tonkin. Shout out to Julie because I love Julie. 
But I remember I called her one time, and I because she would answer his office phone. Mm-hmm. And finally, she was like, hey, Coach just said just give you a cell phone number, and you can just set up a time with him each week. I said, okay, great. So I'd always call Robin on the cell phone. I'd have a little recorder ready. But every time I'd ask him a dumb question, he would just slough it off and just be like, no, that's just not really how it goes. And just, you know, direct me into asking better questions. So I appreciate him for that. But the way I, the reason I struggle with this is that the the league this year is as is as down as it's ever been. They, several of the greatest players in the history of the conference graduated last year. So that makes the, the down a little bit more obvious. But I don't know why Eastern Washington sucks. They usually don't. Wendy Schuler is the longest center coach in the league. But they suck this year. They're 2-19. and 19. I don't know what the deal is. Weber State made a crazy error by getting rid of Beth Ann Ord. I mean, at one point – I shouldn't say getting rid of. She moved on because they wouldn't give her a multiple-year contract. But at one point, they lost like 60 straight conference games. She had them – they had back-to-back 21 seasons with Beth Ann Ord. And then they wouldn't give her an extension, and she left for – That's crazy. They left – she because they thought she was a pain to deal with because she's a very <laughs> hardcore lady. I mean, she's very competitive – if you've ever interviewed her, you see it right away. Oh, God, that's a topic for a whole different It's a whole different podcast, yeah. right. I mean, Can you imagine a men's basketball program not giving a coach that turned it around like that a contract She extension? left for Binghamton. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, how can you not match Binghamton? I don't, I don't know. That's how's, crazy. How's, but how's Binghamton doing now? Oh, I don't even know. I haven't even <laughs> monitored it. But, but you know, I will say, NAU's on the rise. Lori Painter's from Haver has that thing rolling. Sac State, that Bunky Harker Road, I mean, his style is unique. They can't recruit. So they're uh, – check the box. It's a win. Idaho State's always going to be tough. I think Seton Sobolewski is the best coach in the league given the situation. I don't know how he recruits these rosters of just pure international talent, but he does. They play as physical and hard they as anybody in the league. They don't have to come to campus until they've already signed <laughs> the letter. Or they think this is just what America's like. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> – all the, There's all, some smoke and mirrors in that. All recruiting. the Australian guys from Eastern Washington used to tell me that they had no idea that Cheney sucked until they started traveling around for hoops. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought this is what America's like. <laughs> but uh, quick update: the Binghamton University Bearcats are sixteen and seven. Okay, Beth Ann Ord. I mean, I love me some Beth Ann Ord. She is a <laughs> spitfire. I thought she was a great coach. Anyways, my point is that the league <laughs> is down, and Montana has capitalized, but not to the level that they should. But here's the thing. I was telling you this before we started recording. The and Analyzing the Lady Grizz is so hard for me because if you analyze them based on taking over for a program legend who's, I mean, quite frankly, an institution. I mean, Robin yeah. Sullivan was there for 38 years. He won 865 games. Mm-hmm. The pressure that comes with following his footsteps is it's astounding. I mean, Tennessee hasn't been any good since Pat Summit stepped down. We'll see what Gino Oriem happens at UConn. But, I mean, following the greatest of all time is hard. And anybody who thinks that the program wasn't taking a few steps backwards in the last couple of years, honestly, I think is kind of lying to themselves. Totally. It wasn't, it wasn't the same level of competitive as it used to be. And you saw it all blow up in Shannon's first year, which I really don't hold against her because, I mean, he left in, like, May, didn't right. he? So... And then there was some yeah. weird stuff with the staff because I know that multiple of those people wanted the job, and then Shannon has to take over and she has to rebuild her whole new staff, and yep. and then all of a sudden Kaylee Valley gets hurt, who's the preseason MVP, and then Alicia Sims gets hurt, and it was a disaster. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Certainly, I think that I don't want to put words in his mouth, and I I love Coach Selvig. I think that or Robert Selvig was the single most opposed person to the Big Sky Conference tournament going to a neutral site. 
And I think there was a variety of reasons why he was opposed to it, but I think the number one reason why he was opposed to it is because he knew that his biggest advantage was figuring out a way to scrape to the league title. I mean, the last time the tournament was here in Missoula, that team was not the best team in the league. But they went undefeated at home in conference, and they had the tiebreaker against Northern Colorado, and they got to host. And they were losing to Northern Colorado by 19 points with 12 minutes to play, and they came all the way back and won because of the magic at Dahlberg Arena. So that reemphasizes my point of why it's almost inexcusable to lose at home still. That's the thing that's fascinating to me. Their attendance is slightly down since they've had a couple losing seasons in a row. It still blows away the rest of the teams in the league. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still one of the best atmospheres in all of college basketball for women's basketball. There's no question. There's no, I mean, there's no women's basketball teams that draw 3,000 fans. And they do still. And the fans are still into it. They're still passionate. So I think on that aspect, I'm not going to ever back down on the fact that it's pretty unacceptable for them to lose league games at home, unless it's to the best of the best. I mean, Idaho State had only won here one time ever until they won here earlier this year. You can't do it. You can't let it happen. On the other hand, I understand all the challenges that Shannon inherited from taking over for a legend to all the in, in, in-house stuff like you're talking about, Mike. Mm-hmm. And I also think that when you evaluate it from just the straight-up status of the program and the landscape of basketball in Montana, they are better this year than they have been. That said, it's their – Neutral court, single-game appearance. I mean, like last year against Southern Utah in the Big Sky Tournament, I get a couple of their girls had the flu. But you have to be able to manage that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they should have won the league title. You just can't lose to the 10 seed. Southern Utah has never won a Big Sky Tournament game ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't do that. You're the Lady Grizz. And so that's where I battle is when you look at it just through the status of this program, I think that they're better, and I think if they were to get a buy in the – tournament if they were to get a top four seed in a bye i think if this wasn't the lady grizz any other school you'd say yeah you give her an extension you give shannon an extension it's just so hard to analyze them without having like the shadow that is the history of the program just Mm -hmm. looming over the top yeah and you look at a program like montana that has all the advantages over almost everybody else in the conference absolutely and it's like it's hard to it's like why should we not and talent i would say this year I almost almost I honestly almost think the talent on Lady Grizz is better than even their record. Oh, absolutely. So Oh no, talent wise, there's only one team in the league that has more talent so than Montana. Like you look at that, that's Montana. And then you State. look at Montana some of these State. big games yeah. where where we just get out schemed. Boy, it's tough. I wouldn't want to be Kent in that position. And this is not a knock on Shannon because obviously she's a great pass player, great alum, been dedicated for a long time. It's just that's a tough that's a tough call to make. Absolutely. And then you talk about all the other stuff that doesn't have to do with actually on-the-court performance. She's the greatest player in the history of not only the school but the conference. The I mean, conference. she was named the yeah. number one athlete in the history of the Big Sky Conference yeah, for yeah. females. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's she's a first-team All-American. Yep. It's unprecedented. So that in itself is a is just a PR nightmare that you'd have to manage if you were to not renew her. She's got two daughters on scholarship. Yeah. So and her husband's, her husband's a, tra- a track field coach. coach. <laughs> so it's, it's just a very complicated situation, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think that, first of all, I think that Shannon's destiny is in her own hands. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. I, I think if they get a bye and they win a game or two at the tournament, I think that you – It's a no-brainer. I mean, I think you, you sign her back earned up. them. You've earned yourself a contract. Especially because – that's the other thing. You know, we talk about talent. Montana State's the only team that has better talent than the, than the Lady Grizz, and I think that, that a lot of that is just because their talent is older. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, Montana still has 
some outstanding players. I, I want Sophia Styles to get healthy so bad. She's mm-hmm. she's been playing this year, but she's still not quite a hundred percent. You can tell her shoulders still bugging her. But I mean, she, she's an outstanding talent. That's an above the big sky level talent when she was coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Jamie Pickens was the number one ninety one recruit in the country. I mean, she's a four star recruit. She's a three time Gatorade Player of the Year in Montana. You, I don't know. I mean, if you have her, you have to be able to develop. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you turn, and that's the other thing is like where where do you turn from here? Well, who do you hire? I don't know. Yeah. So I I don't know. Just for the because no matter if by chance they didn't fulfill expectations and they fizzled down the stretch, I, I just I hope that doesn't happen more for the just the the disaster that it would be for the school mm-hmm. more than anything else because it would be way messier than any other non renewal. Just because of all the things, who they are as a family, and and I, and I mean, I'll say I love I I love the Schwades. I think that they're great. I love hanging out with Shannon. I think she's great to deal with. I think she's a good interview. I just I, I just wonder you know, how do you how do you get beyond the shadow of what they once were mm-hmm. and what she once was as a player too. I mean, it's hard. It's it's definitely a difficult situation. But to your point, they do have talent. I just think that they have to they have to just finish this thing. It feels like the big make or break really is the conference tournament. Right. And it's get a bye or win a few games. Right. And you've probably earned it. But have another Southern Utah right. repeat of last year. Right. The conversation gets a lot more difficult. Well, and that's the thing. That's because of the neutral site, it honestly, it puts the weaknesses on full display. Because Cause you're not in Dahlberg. I mean, even last year, the only top four seed that Montana didn't beat during the regular season was Montana State. They beat Idaho. They that's beat true. Idaho man, State. That's, man, that's they beat crazy. Portland State. <laughs> Here in I mean, dude, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm telling you, man, I think Dahlberg Arena in women's basketball is worth like 12 points. It's, it's <laughs> I really do, man. I really do. And that's why it's crazy when they lose at home to Northern Colorado. <laughs> what do you think the median age is in Dahlberg Arena for a women's game? And that's going to be the number one thing is because <laughs> – if you continue on the downward slide, though, that's a real problem. I mean, Jamar Coe was in studio last spring after mm-hmm. his career got over. He came in and did an ESPN roundtable with us, and I, I made some comment about he was like he was just getting to know us a little bit too after we got on interviewing him, and he's like, "Oh, you're a Montana alum. Like, when did you go to school here?" And I was like, "Oh, I went to school '05 to '09." And he was like, "Oh, what was it like back then?" And I was like, "Man, I said the number one thing I feel bad for you guys is." you guys kind of had to carry the torch for the school because you yeah. guys were the one program that was really succeeding because during his time, football was yeah. pretty middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Lady Grizz basketball had losing records. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, man, when I was in school, like the Lady Grizz did not lose. I remember the, my last year covering for the Cayman, they lost one game, one conference game at Portland State, and then they got them back at home, and then they got them back in the conference tournament too. That was like a 28-3 and team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were unbelievable. <laughs> And I was telling him, I was like, man, my junior and senior year, the football team lost twice in the national championship game, both years. That's it. And he's like, man, that's crazy. It was probably so fun. I was like, bro, there was Not like. Not to mention that the, the men's b-ball won a game in the tournament. Was, men's yeah. b-ball yeah. won a game in the tournament. Exactly, man. Like, it, it's, it's, it's crazy to put that into perspective. But that's the thing that the Lady Grizz got to worry about, though, is like a guy like Jamar Coe, who's in the athletic department, he didn't even know that Interesting. of yeah. the prestige yeah. that it once had. And the farther you get away from it, because like you said, I mean, Coach Selvig's last couple two years, they weren't an NCAA tournament team either. So now all of a sudden you're six years removed. And things go so fast these days, combined with an aging fan base, 
how are you going to get Which new fans? Which is magnified in the Lady right? Grizz. Magnified in the Lady Grizz. But I think the other thing, though, like the aging fan base, and I can use my parents as an example, two, you know, two people in their early mid-70s that stand out on all the broadcasts with their white hair. and uh, <laughs> Not the Lady Grizz broadcasts. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, for sure. In the men's games, though. But it's like, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. But uh, granted, they don't add, they're not the big addition to the atmosphere. You don't have but my 75-year-old dad and, going and crazy to, out there. Not to, you know, bring this up, but just think of somebody <laughs> other than your parents. Mike, are you telling me my parents are going to die? At some point. And... <laughs> No one's going to buy their seats. <laughs> right. That's true. That's very like, that's true. A, like, I know that's a concern across the athletic department right now. That's a concern like, across the country. Across the right country. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah. you know, Grizz football and all that. But I think there's no bigger concern of that than Lady Grizz basketball. Absolutely. Because they have got multiple generations of, of now aging fans who are so loyal. So loyal. But, you know? But pretty soon they're going to stop going out of health, Unable economic, to or... get there. You know, existence <clears throat> issues, yes. Well, and if you definitely. lose the prestige, too, then all of a sudden, I mean, the way that Sylvie got it rolling, and plug for it, we have our Grizz Greats podcast rolling right now, Mike Nugent, proud sponsor of the action. But one of our – we interviewed every single living coach from the University of Montana men's basketball coaching tree, everybody that came after Judd Heathcote. But Robin Sylvie got the women's basketball job the same time Mike Montgomery got the men's basketball wow. job in 1978. I thought Mike Montgomery hired him. He did, because okay. Mike Montgomery was, was the, the director AD. of basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harley yeah. Lewis was the AD, but he put Mike Montgomery. This is how small <laughs> potatoes it was. Each basketball coach only had one assistant, and Mike Montgomery was the head of basketball. <laughs> so he hired Robin Sylvie over Tara Vanderveer, who went on to have Oh, I, I heard that on your guys' uh, – yeah. At, at uh, Stanford. But – um, I, I don't even remember where I was going with this, but Selvig, he talks all about the way that they built this thing. And so much of the success came from in the women's NCAA tournament. They, men's NCAA tournament, it does not matter where the sites are. They're going to have, you're going to sell out every single game, sure. no matter what. Sure. Any team playing, you're going to sell it out. Women, you have to have the, the sites be at home courts. Mm-hmm. And so that's why out West, especially. I rec- know, when recently, I was in college, my freshman year, I think, is the last time the Lady Grizz hosted a uh, first-round games. Right. And I think it was them, Boise State, Louisiana Tech, and someone else. Yep. And it was either Boise State or I think it was Louisiana Tech was, that they played. Louisiana Tech, yeah. And they I, almost sure. beat them. Right. And I remember thinking, like, how pissed off would you be if you're Louisiana Tech and you are like probably like a four seed and you have right. to go to the home <laughs> court of your, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, in the late eighties, early nineties, that was the special, right? That yeah. Selvig's teams would get the 11 and they'd play the 11, six in Dalbert. <laughs> I mean, like he won, I think he won five, five of his six NCAA tournament wins. I think were on his home court, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. If fan, interest dissipates then even if you do get back to the NCAA tournament you're not the draw anymore yeah yeah. and that's the whole foundation of why they were so great it's fascinating we um definitely have talked about basketball more on this pod than we ever ever have so hopefully that makes some people happy I wanted to give a quick shout out softball started last weekend yeah a pretty good opening weekend four Four and and one one, yeah beat some pretty good teams went into extra innings against like the number 16 team. At Texas Tech's Texas a top 25 Tech. team for sure, yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, so, I mean, good for them. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. But uh, the, one of the other things we wanted to touch on with you, um, 
while you're here is just kind of recruiting and kind of then maybe I'm dovetail into just yeah. football in general, spring yep. ball, state of the program. But um, anything jump out to you at the recruiting um, class? I mean, they only signed three more guys this last Wednesday, I think right? they ended up signing like five more. Five they had more the transfer guys. from Oregon. The two transfers from okay, Oregon I, Okay, I wasn't even coming. And then they had the, thir- the, the, they had the kid that came on as a tight end. Yeah. Uh, the Peyton yeah. Brammer kid is the out-of-state yeah, tight end. The in-state kid, Matt Simpkins from Butte Central, and yep. then the long snapper. Yeah. Right. Who, you know, has got all-American shoes to fill. And and we're big OD fans. Big I know OD you guys are. OD, we are kicking your ass. Okay, out of so here. here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! You're not gonna hate on OD. No, right? not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Trying to like. No, 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 no. I think that. <laughs> I think that. In the last decade or so, the Rob Ash did this better than any coach that's been in Montana or anywhere else in the Big Sky Conference in terms of recruiting specialists. He would go find. He would just do it in cycles. Mm-hmm. He would go find a kicker, a punter, and a snapper that he could sign in the same class so they could all be together the whole time. And he would give them all full rides and say, you are the dudes. Make it or break it. There's not going to be any competition. We might push it every once in a while in the spring, but it's not going to be this mental game where you're going to lose your job. Nope, you're the kicker, you're the punter, you're the snapper. Let's just get you – Consistent, 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 consistent. And he would always recruit accuracy over leg strength and then let them build leg strength. That says they were the only dudes kicking. They would always get the leg strength. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jason Cunningham's the best kicker in the history of the Big Sky Conference with the exception of the three guys that played at Montana, <laughs> right? And that was the Dan Carpenter model, too. Like, Carp, when he first came in, that's I thought right. – I mean, I played high school football against Carp. I thought he was going to be a tight end. <laughs> I mean, he's a big athletic dude. And then all of a sudden, he's the dude, the it's kicker, and Bobby promised him he could play tight end forever. Nuh-uh. You're kicking. You're but kicking, funny you're it worked kicking. out for him. Well, out. Exactly, A couple right? million dollars in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. But I, I think that recruiting long snapper like they did, and, and now Donahue's the same way, and like, I think having great specialists, it, it's such an underrated part of the game. I don't know what we would have done if Howe could come in and moved on from OD because he was a stick guy. Um He's your guy, huh? Because he's our guy. He is you our guy. You guys got to reach because out to the athletic department. Get, get him on the Grizz Fan Podcast. We, we we didn't even know who he was. And then that spring, <laughs> he's like competing with someone else. Oh, and yeah, in, yeah. In, in spring ball, like, even if it was just him and the punter and somebody catching the ball, he snaps the ball and then he's sprinting ass. down the oh, field. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. oh, my God. Who is this? Who is this yeah, guy? high effort, dude. I love it. No, I love it. I love it. Um. Recruiting class. Let's 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 yeah. kind of look at it in reverse. Is there anything that we didn't fill that you kind of think maybe they had hoped to do better at? In the let's talk freshmen first before we talk transfers. Well, okay, so let's talk about the recruiting strategies of both the Montana and Montana State right now. I knew you'd want to freaking here's Montana here's State. here. No, here, listen, hear me out though. Colder's Here's here is God <laughs> hashtag. I would rather be dead than be a bobcat. But I also might rather be dead than be the current state of the Grizz. So that shows you where I am at, right in the middle of the road. Uh, Check that question off. No, I I actually think that uh, I actually am excited about watching a program erode like Montana State's did the last couple years under Ash is Mm -hmm. really hard to cover because you you can see why it's happening and – it, you, regardless of your allegiance or whatever, you don't ever want to see like kids fail because adults become apathetic. That's just a bad way for sure. it to go. Yeah. And I thought that like the apathy for the Grizz program started creeping the day that Bob Stitt beat North Dakota State. And I thought that it was just kind of <laughs> – 
We swimming, needed his media tour. Swimming and like, in mediocrity. I mean, yeah. I've heard some stories, man. I heard that he skipped staff meetings after that win to do radio interviews. And it's I've like, heard that, too. It's a bad look, man. You can't do that. Regardless, the recruiting, I think, this day and age, I think it's so easy to find players. I think that there's so many dudes that could play at this level, and I think if you can get them to come on visits to either Montana or Montana State, you can get kids that are a lot higher level than the big sky. If your kid's getting recruited by the Mountain West and you go on visits to like Nevada and Wyoming and Montana, why would you not come to Montana? Yeah. We had Brandon Casey on the show today on Two Tail Nuanas. He's the lineman from Oregon or mm-hmm. from uh, Sandpoint who Sandpoint. almost went to Oregon, Oregon State. State. Oregon yep. State, yeah. And he was like, man, he was like, it, what it came down to is that Montana has more fans, better fans, better facilities. It's a cooler town. Like everything that I wanted in education besides the prestige of the Pac-12, Montana had. So he's like, why would – I mean, I thought about like for my own ego going to the Pac-12, but when I really put it pencil to paper and thought about all the good things, he's like, Montana's just better. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it comes down to right now for both the Cats and the Grizz. If they get kids in town – What I really appreciated about your interview with him is he talked about how he remembers when Halk was here the last time. Right. And how good they were. And I was like, yes, that is who – There we go. That is who we want. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And this is where it comes down to when Jeff Choate is – he's the master of his hashtags, right? Right. TRC, the right – TRC, the right cat. We want the right cat. Right oh for God. the brand. It's, 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 it's not, it's not lip service, though, because because really, I really think that with the reach that a school like Montana State has, with the education they can offer, the, the momentum the town of Bozeman has, the momentum the university has, the momentum the football team has, you really are recruiting a personality. Because you, you could sign 500 different guys. And you could sign some guys that are even probably more talented than the ones you're going to sign. But who cares if they're me guys or they're – disrupting the program or they're going to get in trouble in the community or they can't buy in. So to me, their whole recruiting style is a psychological analysis. Do you want to be part of a, a family? Do you want to be a part of a program where the head coach is like your dad? Do you want to be a part of this, you know, we're brothers, we love each other, everybody's going to get reps at practice, everybody's going to battle, and we're going to win together no matter what. Every, no one's in a box, we're all going to win together. Bobby wants to recruit, it's the same thing, he's psychologically analyzing kids, right? But Bobby wants kids that can grow, kids that physically and mentally he wants kids that are tough he wants kids that will not quit yeah none of the guys that bobby Hawk recruited that are freshmen that are coming in are going to play for two to three years no none i don't Choate recruits a lot of guys especially at the skill positions that he expects to play early bobby's not going to recruit plug and play guys he's not going to recruit guys well i hate to say it but the cornerbacks are gonna have well no the, the transfer <laughs> the transfer is right well i think the freshman no 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 freshman too no I, I totally agree i totally agree i totally agree and there is some guys like nick osmo mm-hmm. who can or corbin yeah, walker but very rarely but very rarely but what bobby said is exactly what brandon casey said on the show today he wants dudes that want to be here and stay here and win mm-hmm. he's selling winning do you want to win are you a winner when i look at my class from the class that graduated in 2009 that had I think there was 21 Montana guys that ended up making it to the end. Guys like Shan Schillinger and Mark Mariani and the Palmer twins and um, Kevin Claybo and Austin Mullins and on down the line. I think that the the two things that really set those guys apart, because individual talent, I mean, obviously Mariani and Schillinger went to the league. Mm-hmm. But other than that, those guys were all – those guys all played above their heads. And a lot of them played out of position – yeah, I mean, Austin Mullins was a middle linebacker, and he played D-tackle his yeah, entire career. DT, He's an right? all-league yeah. D-tackle. I mean, Kevin Claybo is a middle linebacker. He sacrificed for the team, played fullback. Fullback, yeah. You know, Sean Lebsock is 
not even as big as I am. And he was straight up first-team all-league middle linebacker. They, all those guys played above their heads. But I think that the two things that they had above everybody else, I guess it's, it's three things. They had an unbreakable weight room culture. They all redshirted, and that's where they built that weight room culture. They all started lifting together every single day in the mornings, and they never stopped. And there was no expectation. I mean, Shan Schillinger is a fifth-round draft pick. He didn't start until he was a fourth-year junior. There, there was no, like, oh, my God, I'm so mad I'm not playing. It's like, no, dude, I'm playing behind Cole Anderson. I'm just going to learn, you know, and I'll get my turn, and when I do, I'm going to dominate. But, you know, those two things, but the, the number one thing that those guys had that I think that Bobby's going to try to bring back is that they believed wholeheartedly that it was unbelievably special to play at the University of Montana. That's what he's recruiting. Choate's recruiting guys that want to be part of a family and that they think is Montana State's the greatest thing ever, and we got the fancy dorms and the shiny dining hall. And we're, like he always says, how do I add value to your life? We're going to give you a five-star experience. I think that's great. I think it's really great for new-age kids. Hauk is straight up selling, this is the most special thing that's ever going to happen to you. Appreciate it, <laughs> love it, enjoy it. And win. And, and can't you see him sitting in someone's living room and basically saying that? Exactly? <laughs> I mean, and I think that both strategies will work. I think, and I think that's what's going to be so fascinating because I don't think that everybody's going to always ask who won the state in recruiting. Yeah. I don't think that that's ever going to happen anymore. Well, because I think you're just going to get the kids who fit your way and the, the two ways are so much different, right? Well, and that's like the thing because you're seeing all this like, why isn't Bobby offering this guy? Or, or, the, or you're, you're hearing that a lot. But it's like, it sounds like. They're looking for two totally different guys, right? I mean, outside I think, of like just the the main dudes in the state. I think that I think that Jackson Lee and Tommy Malott were the only two dudes who got heavily recruited by both schools. So who won the state in recruiting? I don't know. They get one each, you know. <laughs> but like Drew Dick, I don't even think he ever spoke to the Cats. Mm-hmm. Henry yeah. Noose, no, no, didn't. But like some of the like Shaden King, the kid from Big Timber, and I'm trying to think of some of the other Cat in-state guys. Like there was really no recruiting battles in state this year and that is a lot closer to what it is normally i think people totally most most of the montana kids know where they're going right if i mean if between those two and a lot of them that's like a legacy as well too yeah there's a legacy i I mean i I hearken back to the mid-2000s when bobby (laughs) first got here there was a lot of dudes in the the two classes ahead of me that were signed still delivered bobcats Mm mm-hmm and they came to the Grizz. And that's where Bobby swung the whole thing. So you're talking like Bagley. I mean, Bagley's dad played for the Cats. Yeah. But that's well, where, no, Bagley's like one of his cousins is a Karen. That, that was right. because at that time there was such a disparity. It's like Cats UM was so then, clearly though. the, yeah. you know, the, the the better. I mean, granted, Kramer had been there and yada, yada, sure. yada. But I mean, it, it was night and day. And it's like there's a lot of people, and yourself included, because I've heard you talk about it, that were firmly believe that if UM hadn't brought Hauk back, that's the direction this was going. But... Flipped yeah, around. Right. Like it was going to be, you know, and you can see it a little bit. Like when I was going to high school here, and I don't I don't know about you guys, but it was very rare that people were so openly excited and sharing that they're going to MSU. Right. But it's like now in the last 10 years, it's in Missoula, there's a lot of kids that go to MSU. And it's like, talk about it, they brag about it. So that's a whole different conversation. But um, two, two things I wanted to ask you about. One... It seems to me from the outside that Choate signs a million kids every year. Yep. And they offer two million kids every year. Just yep. like fire it out there. Yep. <laughs> do they have a lot more attrition than we realize? Like, do... It's something they got like 30... How many people did they sign? They signed like 26. And they, had, they signed 30 this time. They signed 30 and they had so like that's his, 17 I scholarships. I that's his fourth straight recruiting class of 30 or more. Yeah. So it's like... what? 
there must be a high burnout with him and some of these kids. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We could go down so many roads with this. There's <laughs> well, it's the Grizz fan pod. So well, there's, there's the shortest and there's and there's least a lot. Flattering. There's a lot of kids. <laughs> there's a lot of kids that straight up don't show up. Mm-hmm. Right, like they just because you're signed doesn't mean your paperwork's cleared. Mm-hmm. Like in the last class, they had a, a three star running back named Sherrod White. Yep. He never made it to campus. They had a three star yeah. safety named Malik Putney. He's at junior college. They had a three star lineman named Donnie Long. He was in Mo- he was in Bozeman for two days and said I'm homesick. Went to a junior college. Now he's going to Sac State. So they've had some of those guys. They've also had some dudes who I mean, when the transfer portal was approved, they had a several different wide receivers who were me guys who were like, well, you know, I can see where this is going. We got Chris Murray and Troy Anderson. So Can't I'm really never blame gonna, I'm never going to catch a ball. <laughs> but the thing that's interesting to me is that. Three out of those guys never resurfaced anywhere. They didn't get it. So well, that happens because, and we've talked about that. It's like some of these kids who transfer, it's like the other part of the transfer equation is you got to go somewhere. Totally. And if you're, unless you're a grad transfer, you're sitting out a year or you're going down. Right. Like it's, it's complicated. But, but I think that, I think there's a several different factors of the equation. I think what, for one, Montana State as an institution and Montana State as an athletic department publicizes almost everything that they do mm-hmm. period they don't hide from anything mm-hmm. so when Choate has 14 guys that are no longer on the roster and he has a press conference about a new assistant coach he'll do five minutes about these guys moved on they're not part of the program anymore that's all the comment i'm going to make but they're gone mm-hmm. so you don't mm-hmm. have to do any digging or anything like that it. it's just yep they're gone uh so i think that i think we know about a lot of them i mean we could peruse the grizz roster and find well, we have. I have a question. About okay, it. that's good. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I think there's I think there's just a different way of, of reporting all of it too. I mean, I'll never forget when Bobby was first there. Uh, a Missoulian reporter who shall remain nameless did a story about the guys that weren't on the roster anymore as of the opening of fall camp. I think there was 18 guys, and <coughs> Coach Alk went crazy. He was like, "I don't even know who half these guys are." Half these guys quit the day I got the job. I think it's stupid that we're publicizing this and making it look like it's my fault. Part of that's the lens he's looking at it through. I don't think that that reporter was necessarily making it look like it was his fault. But I also think lumping them all together and having guys with no timeline that really did quit the team Mm -hmm. before Coach Hawk was hired or when he was hired, it has nothing to do with that. But that's no one's fault but UM's. Exactly. Exactly. If if these kids disappeared in in January, freaking – Bury it on a Friday afternoon in January, exactly, or a Thursday afternoon before the the Grizz basketball team has a big game. You know, or or, like, or just just all you have to do is be open and explain it. Yeah, I mean, attrition is a part of college football, mm-hmm. and these guys are no longer a part of the program, and now they're not a part of the program. It's my policy to not talk about it anymore. It's as easy as that. Yep. It's just like if I was a coach, after every single game, the first thing I would do, win, lose, or draw, would sit down and say, first of all, I'd like to give credit to the other team; they played a great game. It's so easy. And the fact that no, that so many coaches don't do it, it drives me nuts. But, you know, I also think that Choate, Choate, he said this on the record. He didn't know what he was doing in terms of filling the roster when he first got to Montana State. He didn't know how to navigate what they call the equivalency. Mm-hmm. So in the FCS, you have 63 scholarships that can be split between 85 guys and 104 guys can be on your roster. They were short in terms of the amount of scholarships they were using, the amount of guys who were on scholarship, and the amount of guys who were on their roster the first two years he was there. So he oversigned to mitigate that and then had to cut fat. Hmm. I also think that he's a recruiting machine. I think he loves recruiting more than anything. Mm-hmm. That's what he was as a 
assistant. And so they literally out-recruit every single guy on their roster. And I think that's good in certain ways because you can upgrade talent. I think it's not good in other ways because how do you – like if you have a guy that's developing and he's proving himself and then you just out-recruit him with a transfer – of course, I mean, how is that kid not going to be frustrated? Yeah. Human nature at some point. So I just, I think that there's a lot to it. I think that they love recruiting at Montana State. I'll tell you that. And I think he loves recruiting. I think he loves talking about recruiting. I think he loves slanging the offers. And I think that there's merit to the way that both programs yeah. do it. But I can't, can't argue. With but you know, at the, the Montana side of things, I think that way less guys quit the first two years that I thought were going to. Um, I am, I agree. I think I've been surprised. We've talked about that. this. Yeah. I've been very I mean, surprised. That said, last year's yeah. roster in year three had 74. Or year two. Yeah. Uh, year two, 74 guys that were Bobby guys. Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, a lot there of is guys a tr- played a year, stuck right. it out. I mean, yeah, it's been fascinating. I, the thing that interests me, and I know we signed one, and I, re- I, I read the article, and I'm going to bring up a point on this, but I just it, it amazes me how I feel like Stitt's staff struggled at this, and Houck's staff does too, and it's recruiting cornerbacks. Corners, yeah. Corners. Like, why can Montana not recruit corners? Has Montana ever been able to recruit corners? Well, I mean, True Man Johnson. I guess he wasn't a corner. But like, but it, right? He was recruited as a receiver slash. But it's like, how can Montana State late, can late recruit? Late two thousands, we kind of had the you had the the Jimmy Wilsons and the the others, uh, you know, playing corner at the time. Well, it, I guess Jimmy wasn't there at that point. Mid two thousands, but you still had. <laughs> but true, like what? True, like uh, he was somewhere else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> true Man Johnson was true. A, true Man jo- True Man Johnson's a unicorn. Yep. Yeah, and, and nobody they brought him in as a receiver. We should we should like, hold and, Tr- and Tremaine was under the pro- and, and the two corners the year before Olsen and Brown quit like they left right. the team and so they're like right. oh my god I mean like, Tremaine Johnson was under the impression all the way until like the first game of his junior year that he was going to play offense in Montana. <laughs> I think it worked out for him, too. 100%. I mean, he's got about 75 million reasons why it worked out. Keep hoping the Jets will cut him and he can go sign with the Niners for a veteran minimum. Yeah, right? Um, you know, they could use some depth. But why Why is it so hard to recruit corners? I mean, you mentioned Ken Mon- you said Montana State can recruit corners. Can they? Well, it seems like. And this here's, could be perception. It's like from the outside, it seems like they can. Here's where Choate nails it. He said this on his signing day presser. He said that he, he treats it like three to one. You got to recruit three corners to get one good one. And that's why they always oversign corners. That's fair. You right. look at, you We've look, heard Bobby say something. I've heard Bobby say something. Right. And, and you look at the guys he's signed. I mean, he brought in the two transfers from Washington. Disaster. They start selling drugs. It was as bad as it gets. It, it was, I think that it was a huge, a huge eye-opener for him. He realized that he can't, he can't go that route. You can't sign transfers with character issues. Bobby learned the hard way, yeah, too. Yeah, Bobby learned that, too. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I remember half the guys that were here when when Hauk was here the first time around, I mean, those were all the – Coleman. And I mean, those were the yeah, most – Yeah, those guys were those the most – Those guys were the most yeah. worrisome guys in town, man. <laughs> so I, I think that that's part of it. I think you have to be edgy to play corner at a high level, and I think a lot of times those kids stand out way more in Montana. I just don't think you can be – you can't blend in, really. Uh, I think that – um, I mean, look at Choate had Gerald Alexander, right, for one year. And he basically signed five corners for him. They got John Walker as a grad transfer from Colorado. And then they signed who they used to call the Thundercats, Tyrell Thomas, who's still a starter. And then um, Jalen Cole, who ended up basically breaking his neck against the Grizz, and he hasn't played since. Ooh. 
And then you got the Gibson twins who, I mean, one played a, quite a bit this year. The other one got kicked off the team in spring ball and then got invited back. It was no legal thing. I think he just j- drove the coaches that crazy that they're like, get away from me. It's a very chote thing to do. It, absolutely. <laughs> and so, I mean, they, the thing is, I think that the reason that they've been able to find functionality there is because they've just stockpiled dudes. Mm-hmm. They just, they have more dudes at their disposal. I think you got to, re- I think you really got to prioritize it. You know, I think that recruiting, I think recruiting offensive and defensive line and recruiting corners is the easiest positions to recruit at the highest level and the hardest positions to recruit at this level. Because you have no idea how a guy's going to be able to project. Yep. Sure. That makes sense. Because if they're, if if someone's a true good corner coming out of high school, they're not going to Big Sky Conference School. I mean, we, I I can think of six corners off the top of my head in the last five or six years that were starters as underclassmen at Big Sky Schools that transferred up. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they transferred to the Pac-12. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, you, uh, one of your recruiting stories about the cornerback they did sign, the freshman out of Utah. Uh, uh, yeah. Ot Joe Ot Joe So. So, yeah. And I, I found it interesting because he was talking about he took his visit during the uh, Louisiana playoff game mm-hmm. and, you know, sitting there with the redshirt freshman at, at the end of the end zone when Corbin Walker yeah. runs the touchdown back. Yeah. And it's like, I just – I just saw what my future opportunities were right yeah. there. But that was and a great it, quote, right? It, oh, it was a fantastic quote. And very, you could just visualize the whole thing. But then it was, they were all, it thinking, was so yeah, cool because they were all right standing there. in the corner of the end zone <laughs> yep. right when he housed it. Like, yep. what a moment. It um, reminds me of uh, the um, North Dakota State game. Was it how who showed a picture at QB Club? Um, somebody showed a picture of like, and there's Dante Olsen, like, leaping up oh, into yeah. the air. Dante Olsen in his 40-inch like, vertical. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, wearing shorts and his jersey. But it was, it was jersey. Dante, like, yeah, yeah. as a true freshman. As a true freshman with the red shirts freshman. there. And side note on that picture, you had the UM security guard freaking out about football players celebrating, which is just UM productions <laughs> in a nutshell, but we won't go down that road. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to be positive these days here. Um, positive things but i mean it, it it also struck me that it's like and you've talked about this before if you can get a kid to campus right you've got a pretty damn good shot i mean not 100 percent, but especially on a game day and then seeing the champion center and seeing it i mean yeah it, recruiting is an interesting thing so well that, i mean we we, yeah. do, we do profiles on every single recruit that comes at least all the ones that will call me back but mm-hmm. we try to do it all the cats and the grizz Every out-of-state kid, the number one question I ask every single one of them that is my favorite question I ask every single one of them is, what did you think Montana was going to be like before you came, and what did you think afterwards? Mm. And the responses are just hilarious. Like the two kids from Oxnard, Xavier Harris and Aaron Fontes, they were both like, man, we were so worried to come up there. We thought it was going to suck. We thought it was going to be boring. We thought there was going to be cowboys and, like, everybody's going to be riding horses. <laughs> He's like, you know, then we go out to dinner at the depot. We, you know, this, that, the other thing. And it's like, it's so cool up there. Everybody's so nice, so friendly. But I just think that people think that they're going to like Lewistown or Miles City, yeah. Not, yeah. not you know like a they think they're urban in Re- they think place. They're in, they think they're in Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's exactly oh, it. Oh, so so Coulter, like you look at the recruiting class. What fascinated me and um, Mike and I as QB Club members, uh, Mike missed it because he had better things to do, but. Uh, we, it was working. Like, work. We, we, we yeah, work. Yeah. I, I don't work at all. Um, but Bobby 
broke down this class. I don't think he really said anything at the QB club that was this big, like a bunch of like real in-depth, like top secret type things. But it was but, another cool thing the QB club got to do. So join. Yes. It. And so, uh, but Good what, plug. what fast Wanna advertise that on the radio? Yeah. We do quite a bit. <laughs> hey, shout out to Logan. Cause he listens to all these, right? Yeah. Or, or whoever <laughs> or somebody. Uh, so, um, but what, what is fascinating me with this recruiting class was it seemed like a lot of them, they don't even know where they're really going to land yet. As far as it, positions, yeah, it's like, oh, he might. He, we're going to bring him in as a as O line, but he might go to D. We're, exactly. We, we, we're going to bring him in as well. He played running back like uh, the kid out of uh, uh, who am I? Croy, right? Asher. Croy. Yeah, right, right. It's like, well, you know, he was a kick ass in state running back, but we're going to play him a linebacker. But we're just going to yep. see where it goes. Yep. Or it's like he might be a receiver. He might turn into a safety. And so, it, but I really got the feel like all these incoming freshmen, we're not going to see him for two years. Maybe three, outside of maybe like if the Otjo, which is how it used to or be, or somebody like really breaks through, like a Nick Osmo kind of thing. Because I think at this point last year, I think if you talked to somebody and said, "Oh, Nick Osmo's gonna be the number two back," they'd be like, "Yeah, shut the fuck up!" Like, yeah. no, no, he's not. <laughs> and uh, Grass Jensen's gonna be the backup quarterback. <laughs> um, but so it's like I, it, it's fascinating because a lot of these guys, it really feels like they don't even know what side of the ball they're going to finish on. And so you like everyone. And we have this question a lot, like who's going to play right away? Like what freshman is going to like maybe a corner because we just don't have any, but I don't, I don't know who else. I mean, I don't know. And then the other thing I'd be curious of your thought, do you, did you in this recruiting class, did you see anyone that was like a, a, a big steal, like a big get, like just, and I know it's tough when you look at like, true incoming freshman 18 year old kids so what especially when you're talking about translating to bobby hauk's program when you're watching film on high school kids i think this gets so lost on people that first of all i think that the there's this perception that both montana schools recruit so heavily in california and everybody thinks california is like the golden place wherever we're going to get your best guys when I watch the tape for high school football, I don't. I think that the there's there's more standouts because there's more people. But like by and large, like the just middle of the road guys, I think that they suck. <laughs> like the like there's just so many dudes who just aren't really playing that hard. I think that's the thing about especially Montana, Idaho, and Oregon, is that even though it's low population, if you're playing varsity football, likely even if you're not fast, you're tough and you can hit and. So, like, the level of – and I think also – Coach Halkett said this a lot, too, that the fundamental development in Montana is phenomenal because there's so many coaches that coach at these small-town high schools that just – they do it because they want to be there. And I think that the – I think kids from high schools in Montana come in with hey, – what do we got here? <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast. To to Dar- Darren Ravel tweeting about the Bobcats' promotional attendance. Come of- have a ball or two. Rocky Mountain Oysters. Hey, well, and picked up by some national media. I, I give sorry. Them, I give I give them uh, I give them mad credit. You know, I mean, at least the game day experience at Montana State is different every once in a while, <laughs> as compared to the same for twenty three years. Uh, the, sorry, we digress. <laughs> I think that no, but I I do think that there's great fundamental development in Montana. I also think that the hitting. The actual physical contact portion of the game is at a higher level in Montana, Idaho, and Washington than it is in California or Colorado. Interesting. Utah actually has really good too. 
But when I watch in film, I watch how does the what are the what does the kid's hips look like in terms of like how fluid are his hips? Because I think that's the number one teller mm-hmm. of how much you can athletically develop or grow into your frame. And what's his pop like? Can he pop? Can, does he hit? Does he strike you with violence? And when I watched all these kids film, I so I thought Joey Elwell last year was one of the guys that I didn't think got nearly enough hype out of that class. He's got pop, and they used him as like that H role towards the end of the year. And right. I thought he was really key to their run game. I mean, he yeah. at the point yeah. of contact he can knock you on your ass. And I think that that type of guy is so good because that that skill, Joey Elwell can do what he did this year at H-back, at fullback, at running back, at linebacker. He can do it covering kicks. He can do it covering punts. So it's a translatable skill that he can use across the board. And that's why you can always tell – Bobby Houck always picks one or two young guys to be his special teams aces, and you can always tell – when they have pop, I knew Kendrick Van Acker was going to be good the very first time I watched him run down a kick. He was fearless and he fucked a guy up. I mean, he just, <laughs> like, the very first time my brother was like, watch KVA, watch KVA. And this I did. Happen. And he did. He, he just massacred a guy. But as far as the guys that they signed, I thought that um, Eric Barker, the tight end from Oregon, yep. I thought he had really good pop. I watched Asher Croy live twice this year. He's got great pop. He's a stud. I, so you think defense is his future? Man, I don't know. I, I, I actually was very surprised when they said that he was going to play linebacker just because he's got a running back body. He's not yeah. He's not tall. Like, I interviewed him at the state championship game. I'm just shy of 6'1", and he was – like, they list him at 6 feet. He's not. He's 5'10", or 5'11". He's not, he's not tall. Mm-hmm. He runs with such great authority. I think that the Journey Grimsrud kid, to me, is – like a Bobby Houck special. He's the type of dude who I heard his weight room numbers are insane. He's incredibly raw. I think he's got no chance to play for several years, but if they just lock him in the weight room, he could be an absolute animal. Um, some of these other guys, I mean, some of these guys are just kind of wait and see guys. As far as athletes go, I mean, I thought that both the Oxnard kids are top level athletes. Yeah. I'm excited about those. Guys. I'm just so interested to see like those guys are both three-star recruits that had other bigger offers. Mm-hmm. They have the talent to probably play early. If they don't, how do they buy in? That's what I'm talking yep. about with the psychological yep. analysis. In both positions, this. receiver and running back, they don't need them to play early. Right. I mean, you know, I'm, those guys, maybe they keep them happy by giving them four four games, you know, to get a taste of it all, but they don't need them this year. Not a chance. Bobby Hawk did such a good job the first time around with offensive linemen in establishing like the authority figures in the mm-hmm. group. So then none of the young guys were ever bitching to Mona about not playing because they're like, well, man, I'm a sophomore and we got Thatcher Slay. We Somebody's got Colin Dow. Like, I'm not as tough as those guys yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> like, they knew they weren't ready because the guys ahead of them were so, so fierce. That's what I think Montana needs to get back to. But I think that they're inching towards that. And so then that, I think that helps with the development of some of these younger guys. I mean, I think that the linemen, especially on the offensive side. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Both sides of the ball. I think that's the place where they have a chance to make such huge strides. I mean, look at their D-line, D-line. from last year. I mean, every single one of those dudes is an underclassman, and they're way better than I what mean, Stitt had. I was going to say, they have a chance to be a special group in a couple of years. And, and I, mean, I, th- I thought it was a, a testament to their recruiting as much as it was a referendum of what was happening Previously. But, I mean, if they hadn't wanted to save McGoran's redshirt, right. he would have been a starter for the a playoff Grizzly team Absolutely. as a true freshman. Absolutely. I mean, 
how can you not be excited for that? It's like, right. and that's what's kind of cool about the redshirt rule is it's like that guy's got four games of experience yep. to know. So they know what they've got with him uh-huh. and they've got four years to, to see what happens. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the class, but it's always kind of hard to, you know, you got to wait a couple years to see what happens. I am also kind of excited because none of the freshman offensive linemen they signed last signing class yeah. played this year. Right. So I'm really curious to see, which is obviously what Hauk would prefer. Definitely. So I'm really curious to see how those guys, a full season, off season in the weight room, what, what spring ball looks like for them, but also what, what fall camp looks like for them. If those guys are going to, push anybody on the line, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, quickly, I mean, obviously, we just talked about how UM really doesn't acknowledge when players leave. Right. And so what you get is like guessings <laughs> of lists, sure. you know, because people go look at the but roster. But then sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes, Every once in a while they Sometimes do. Sports Information will put out a tweet yeah. saying this guy has left. There's just no real consistency to it. Yeah, it's – it's we. I mean, that's a whole different – pod topic and i think we're saving our fans by not getting there but uh i think um, i think part of it is just like why you leave so i was gonna say so yeah. any of them yeah. jump out at at you and i'm obviously gonna lead with darian nash because he left and signed with idaho which to right. me with no insider information when you are slotted to be a starter as a senior at montana that finished what fifth is that what we ended up being ranked yeah, I think so. Fifth, fifth in the sixth. nation. I think sixth. sixth. Northern Iowa was an egregious fifth. In one of the polls. Yeah. Like, well, anyway, fifth or sixth in the nation. And you leave right. and transfer to Idaho. Idaho. Right. Who was terrible. And maybe their defense will be their strength next year. I don't know. But, I mean, you got to think that UM is going to be picked above Idaho next year. Right. To me, that just screams, I didn't get along with the coaches and it's kind of my fault. I mean, I hate to say it. There, but. I mean, I think, first of all, if you are going to be a grad transfer, you got to graduate. He hasn't graduated yet. Yep. So that's a missing link. I have no idea what the situation is there. I've heard he's very far away from graduating. I heard he was going to have to graduate to be even eligible next year, but that's all speculation. I don't really know. But I know for a fact he hasn't actually graduated yet. Okay. So he might not be able to transfer yet. Also, though, he could maybe finish his degree during summer school there. I don't think Idaho would really sign him and announce it unless they had a pretty good so idea that he would. can they do that? Can you grad transfer when you haven't graduated? Well, I mean, Vernon Adams in the math class, right? I um, mean, Vernon Adams was signed, still delivered to the Oregon Ducks, and then the whole, every media member in the Northwest was texting Vernon, how'd the math test go? I mean, he didn't pass his math test to get his degree at Oregon until I think like five days before fall camp. Total tangent, but have you guys seen Vernon Adams just straight trolling Eastern Washington on Twitter? No. Um, I have a couple times where it's like he's he's pointed out that it's like they don't seem to embrace They don't him. embrace alums. Yeah, the other day his tweet was, let me be clear, I love the players and the fans at Eastern Washington. <laughs> it's like shots fired. Uh, that's a whole different deal. We could, I mean, if we really wanted to stir up the internet, we could do a whole podcast about that whole situation. <laughs> but we, let's not. Um <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things that go into the NAS situation. I don't think he ever really loved playing corner. I think Justin Calhoun is an insane competitor. Mm-hmm. He wanted to play, period. I know that he's taking a lot of heat. I posted about it on Egris, trying to defend him a little bit. 
I, I think that some people didn't really understand the scheme that Montana was running. I mean, they left him on an island. Yeah, they, I was going to say it was clearly designed that it's like we shut everything down. And we're going to we can deal with. I mean, like keep, the Weber keep game it in front of you don't make exactly like yeah. the Weber game. Like he gave up 150 yards receiving to that McPherson kid, but like the whole thing was if Constantine gets it off, we're going to hit him, and otherwise he's not going to get it off because we're going to hit him, and they hit him. 30 times and knocked him out of the game. And Calhoun was the victim of getting six completions on him. But I mean, I thought the kid completed his ass off the whole time he was playing corner. He's a way better tackler than any other slot receiver I ever seen in the big sky conference. <laughs> so, but I don't think Nash ever really embraced it. I thought Nash had a lot more upside, but I don't think he ever really embraced the competition. I don't know the kid. He was never engaging at press conferences. I've heard he's very moody, not very coachable. And so all those factors then you bring into transfers from the Pac-12 to basically take this guy's spot. I just think that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that anybody internally is that sad that he's not around. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you hate to, you hate to, you know, pile on a kid when he left, but it just, that one struck me as like something, something's weird here. Um, totally replaceable. That's all. I mean, it, just in terms of speculation aside. Well, that was what I said. Not on a the, huge loss on the Idaho podcast I was on last week. I was like, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from anybody, but it's like, what was UM ranked nationally in yeah. pass yards? Right. I mean, and it, it'd be like it'd be a different story if like Jace Lewis was leaving, right. <laughs> which he's not. Totally, <laughs> she's not. Um, totally. Nobody else has really jumped out at me. Um, somebody retired to pursue. Oh, Josh uh, Egbo. No, no, no. Well, Egbo retired. Egbo, Egbo graduated, but uh, McGinnis. I saw that on Eagers. See, that's the I haven't of, seen anywhere else. That's so the type like, of thing. That's what I was. See, that's the type of thing that if I was Montana, I would be ahead of. Because he, if the kid really did get an academic slash career opportunity, and he's taking that, I mean, the kid was on an academic scholarship. I remember mm-hmm. when he got recruited from Sydney. I mean, he was he was like one of the great students in the yeah. state of Montana, yeah. and he was going to get a full ride to either school. And they were like, okay, we'll use you as a project. And I thought he developed great. I thought he was a great special teams player last year. But that's something that, like, yeah, rather not. than let speculation run wild, if I was because the athletic department, he, I would he's, just he's stay not ahead on, of it. Gone on the Go Grizz roster. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, and it, yeah, I mean, it just, it's so interesting. Because then it's like you, you get all these rumors and you get all this stuff. And it's like, why not, why not say it? As a lifelong Grizz fan, I think on my tombstone, I want to say, have it written no longer on the gogrizz.com <laughs> roster. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I like it. That's going to be the A um, couple <laughs> position switches we've, we've kind of heard about. It. I mean, we'll see when spring camp opens. For I've heard Graves to safety. Thank God. Um, which I, I'm excited to see him on defense. You know, I I, mean, I, I want to see Garrett Grizz play every position besides quarterback. I, he's, like, yeah. he's like our Taysom, uh, Taysom Hill. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty good. Or you mean you're Troy Anderson? Well, <laughs> can't compare to the neighbors, right? No, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think he's got the potential to be a great safety. Um, and I've also heard yeah. Giancaro got moved to linebacker. You Thank heard about God. That? If that's true, that makes me so well, happy. It makes sense because it's like he got some carries one game his true freshman year, and then yeah. we didn't hear a thing from him. If, if Giancaro really did get moved to defense, this is going to make my brother, who's my partner at Sky Sports, the most happy person on earth. Mm-hmm. Still listed as a running back. Well, my, my brother, every, every, always updated. Go-Go every time games. my brother has either ran into Janicaro or seen him in the student section, he sends me a picture of him and says, bro, why isn't this dude playing? We should find a position on the field for that guy. <laughs> I mean, he's 6'1", 235. He looks like a grown-ass man. When you, mm-hmm. when you, I saw him at the Good Food Store the other day. He looks like he's 30. <laughs> Get that guy a spot, you know. I mean, you know, figure it out. I mean, yep. he, he, and that's a family too. You want because he's got younger brothers. His brother, yeah, the his younger brother Coulter. 
yeah. Oh, good name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think they have another younger brother, too. But, no, I mean. It's like a family you want to keep feeding. Jana Caro straight up got the two seed in the Class AA playoffs as a senior. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't have hardly anybody. And right. He, got, he, got he was like everything for the team. I mean, he yeah. rushed for like 1,900 yards. I mean, <laughs> As a quarterback. As a quarterback. <laughs> as a as a run-gun wildcat quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I He played defense. He played both ways. I mean, I just – he know he is a quintessential Bobby. You talk about being able to strike, yeah. Wanting to be a Grizz and being tough. I mean, he is that. They just yeah. got to figure out a way to get him on the field. So I've never seen. I haven't seen that reported anywhere. But I, somebody talked to him after a basketball game and said that's what they said. Well, so great. That's completely awesome. third hand. Was it James? Was it James? No, that would have been good. James would have been looking for Timmy Falls. <laughs> if we're talking about guys he's looking for after a basketball game. Um, good there. Uh, Dante Olson combine invite. Awesome. Yep. We love Dante. I don't think there's anything Dante. else to talk about there. And Colt Anderson, assistant special teams coach for the Bengals. Awesome and shitty at the same time. Awesome that he's got a coaching job in the NFL. Unfortunate that it's the Bengals, but whatever. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. I, guess. I mean, in on the ground floor, though, right? I mean, they, they're going to have the number one pick. It's the second year coaching staff. What, um, what's going on at Weber State right now? I mean, in, in the last two weeks to a month, they've. <laughs> Had their starting quarterback transfer, who, in my opinion, isn't a big side conference caliber quarterback, so whatever. Their number two running back is in the portal, but I've heard still practicing with the team, which is something that would never happen at UM. Um, And they lost their offensive coordinator. And they lost their offensive coordinator. What's going on? Well, see, this is the most fascinating part about living in rural Montana, (laughs) but having such fevered engagement with fans and media. The Montana schools are under such huge spotlights and such huge scrutiny, right? Think about how much heat Jeff Jones taken for the last five, four or five years for five offensive coordinators, five quarterbacks coaches, 400 quarterbacks. I mean, does, they, they play everybody at quarterback at Montana State. Jones even makes jokes about it. Well, it does seem like they went out and got another offensive coordinator that will do whatever Jones says. So, anyway. That's the thing, though. I don't even think that Jones <laughs> says to do anything. <laughs> I think they straight up, they just gap scheme the shit out of it on the offensive line, and then they find every possible way to hand the ball to every possible dude who can touch it. <laughs> I mean, they had 22 guys get carries last year. And it worked out for them to a point last year. I mean, 4,000 yards rushing. Yep. That's, you know, so, but but what I'm saying is there has been so much conversation, so much scrutiny, so many people, so much pushback. And there was a moment in time, like, I heard from multiple big Bobcat boosters after Montana State scored 12 points in North Dakota. Man, I'm I'm done. I'm not giving any money. The program is this is over. Our offense is embarrassment. We're not ever going to get to the next level until they find a quarterback. This is embarrassing. Blah blah blah. It still boggles my mind that they scored 12 points against North Dakota and then did what they did to the Grizz. They yeah, I mean they they definitely turned the corner the following week for sure, and then got it straight rolling by the time they got the Grizz. But anyway, this is about Weber State. So what I'm saying is that it's just fascinating that. Weber State's offensive situation and quarterback situation and offensive coordinator situation has been a way bigger shit show. Yeah, I was going to say it's worse. It's way worse. I, I mean, because mo- they've had a championship-caliber defense. I mean, you to can be talk- able to put nothing together on offense. You can talk about Montana State not being able to throw the ball, but they led the league in rushing throughout the last four mm-hmm. years, and they scored touchdowns even if they don't throw touchdowns. Yeah. Weber State... <laughs> Gives Dick's the ball goals. to Josh Davis until he dies, and that's all. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, if, if it hadn't, if that game hadn't been a monsoon, the Grizz would have won that playoff. I mean, game. Exa- exactly. I mean, they got a field goal kicker that's made like eighty field goals over the last. I think what was it like last year? He kicked fifty or four, yeah. it was forty some. I yeah, mean, it was right. crazy. 
And they literally, I mean, Josh Davis is an All-American, and they got really nothing after that. And yeah. they actually were a little bit better down the stretch throwing the ball. I think they had three different receivers get 100 yards in a game. But still, I mean, they have been far and away dead last in the conference in total offense and passing offense and was close to the dead last in scoring offense. And it's just it hasn't been great. And I think that – I think that up to this point, Choate has had a problem evaluating quarterbacks. I think that Jay Hill is like (laughs) – it's not that he has a problem evaluating guys. It's that the guys that he gets, he destroys. He just – like he – when the Cats played in Bozeman, Choate's first year, and Jadrian Clark was still Weaver's quarterback. That was the first year they made the playoffs with Jay Hill. It was Jadrian Clark and Stephen Cantwell. Both of those guys got benched in the, in the scope of that game, and Jay Hill just ripped them to shreds. <laughs> just ripped them to shreds. And they've just been going back and forth trying to find continuity. When he has dudes who are like – it's so funny because defensive coaches, they love like these defensive-minded quarterbacks, right? Like Stephen Cantwell is the best quarterback that they've had, even though he's not like that talented because he was the – run for three yards on third and three and put your shoulder down and, like, be the leader. And, like, Choate likes that same kind of guy too. But I just feel like sometimes the the thing that's missing from those guys is engendering the kids with confidence. If you're always looking over your shoulder or you're always getting your head ripped off, how are you supposed to find consistency? I think that's the part that really they struggle with. I mean, think about the way that Coach Houck and Coach Rosenbach managed Dalton Snead the last two years. There was never anything but this is our dude. Mm-hmm. We're riding with this dude. And even through the ups and downs, he knew that everybody had his back. I think if you are worried about the backup quarterback or the offensive coordinator or whatever it might be, it's just hard. And I, with Weber, I don't know. I think that you are what you emphasize, and how do you get better on offense when you haven't been really any sort of good on offense at all? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's fascinating to me. But it just kind of – it it struck me as like, are some of these guys jumping ship? Like they're just like, this is just never going to get better. <laughs> I think so much of it's like the style that they're forced to play too, though, because I mean, there's there's quote unquote defensive coaches in the league, and then there's Jay Hill, like he straight up literally does not give a shit if he beats you nine to three. There's yeah. no, no, he does not, not care enough. about touchdowns. He is trying to pitch shutouts. So, on the Grizz fan pod, we have a, a sacred QB that is no longer on the Grizzly roster. Okay, if Gresh Jensen announces. <laughs> He We're is still on this. Mike's been on this since spring of Bobby's if, first year. I believe that Gresh has been mentioned in every episode. Of <laughs> okay, okay, okay. If Gresh Jensen announces he is a Weber State Wildcat. Oh, my goodness. That's fascinating. I mean, it'd be the best the QB only Jay Hill's ever had. He would be. There's no return would to Would he even win the job? <laughs> I mean, see, now, yes. So, okay. But would he? Would, yes. Would, would because, Greg, but would Jay Hill want him to be the quarterback? Because he's not the third and three guy. Well, the, okay, He's the, not the rally of the troops point. guy. Okay. You know what I'm okay. saying? I thought you were saying would he win the job, like, Based on is talent? he good enough to be big sky quarterback? Well, no, no, I mean, he's like, good enough. Yes, he's good he's enough good to be big sky quarterback. quarterback. I don't necessarily know that means he's good enough to start for some of the coaches in the big sky. Okay, no. so would Greg? Would, would Gresh just start at Montana State? 
No. Talent-wise, yeah, but would he actually do it? You know? I, no. I, they're just going to troll him in his jersey and tag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so would Gresh go to Weber, or would he go be Bo Baldwin's one-year QB while he changes the Cal wow, Poly see, offense? Be, I, if I was Gresh, be I'd be much more interested in that. Man, I'd go to Cal Poly. Well, right, because Bo Baldwin's not worried about any of the, all these intangible you know, dick-measuring contests or whatever. Like, yeah. it, it's just like, oh, you can spin it? Sweet. We're going to chuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. It's so interesting the variety of coaches that. And Bob Baldwin's seen him because he played him here he's in his first it. start. He's seen him, yeah. It's fascinating. Or he's going to end up nowhere, and he's going to be one of the biggest enigma QB slash. It's going to be thirty years from now. Mike will be Mike will be sitting in the stands with his grandkids. I mean, like, you this make it sound like we, we talk about it longingly every week. It's like we do not. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Like. Not to be harsh, but like if you believe what Bob Stitt's selling, not once, not twice, but three times, I think you get what you deserve. Well, oof. I mean, yeah. I, I, I feel bad for the kid. Yeah. I wish yeah. he would have got some better advice somewhere along well, the way. Well, I kind of wonder if he did. What would he see be? The what opportunity it? to follow Bob Stitt to go up to the FBS. Sure. Thinking, well, there's a head coach who sure. might change the system a little bit. But from everything I've heard about what the dynamic was between Stitt and the head coach. Well, like, I think the head coach might have thought that Stitt was. Well, I, I just could. I mean, I, 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 I mean, that was a bad fit from day one because I, just, I couldn't believe Spavital even hired an offensive coordinator. I mean, Spavital yeah. has been an offensive coordinator for Kevin Sumlin and Dana Holgerson, and yeah, like he's yeah. been all over the place. I mean, he's coached freaking Johnny Manziel. Like he's, done, why does that guy need to co- hire a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator? I don't know. That just seemed like a bad fit, anyways. Mm-hmm. What would Jensen be right now? Be senior. So he, if he would have stayed. This would be a senior year. Senior. We'd be going into a senior year. So he could have been a one-year starter. Better than a no-year starter. Well, that's a whole different conversation that we're just not going to have right now. <laughs> I don't know why Brent brought him up. Because uh, he's trying to get me going. It's the tradition of it, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little about you. Let's, let's shift gears here. Um, and some of this is going to wrap up with wanting to get your opinion on the state of the program and where it's been. And so, ironically, talking about Stitt and stuff, it's all there. What year were you the, the Kaiman beat writer when you were a student? So I actually never covered the football beat of the Kaiman. I was the no feature kidding. writer. Okay. That is why I had a different standing amongst almost every other student reporter. I Every single interview I did with Bobby Houck in 2007, or 2000, I guess it was 2008 and 2009. Let's do the math here. No, it would have been 2007 and 2008 because it was the falls. And then I graduated in the spring of 2009. So 2007, 2008, those falls, mm-hmm. I was the guy that did the game day cover stories okay. for the game okay. day Kaiman. So all my interviews with Bobby were always like, yeah, you know, tell me why Colt Anderson's awesome. Yeah, why do you we know? love this guy? Yeah, tell me why Trumaine Johnson's so sweet at so corner, Easy stuff. Easy know? stuff, yeah. And we were just, and we'd always either talk about just Montana and players. Who were the beat writers for the Kaiman those years? So – Bill Oram, who now covers the Los Angeles yeah. Lakers, he, he was the beat writer in 07, and then he became the managing editor of the Kaiman in 08. But he was the one who had the big... No. No, that was uh, Tyson Ice. So then Algar. Roman Stubbs was the beat writer in 08. He yeah. now covers the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. Yep. And I was doing the features and also covering men's and women's basketball and... Uh, I just love doing features. I always, yeah. I thought I wanted to, I thought I wanted to, I didn't, the newspaper thing was like a weird, how it all happened was interesting and I'm sure we're going to get into it, but I wanted to be like a magazine feature writer when I was in journalism school. So I almost exclusively wrote features and columns when I was at the Kaiman. Okay. And, uh, 
so I never had to ask Bobby that many hard questions. So I, and and then my brother started playing for Bobby in 2009. So I had a, di- a different level of separation. So then after I graduated from college, then I worked for the Missoulian for about a year, and I took a job in Ellensburg, Washington. Mm-hmm. And then that next year was when shit kind of hit the fan with UM football, especially with the Kaiman. That fall of 09, Tyson Alger, was, who now works for the Athletic, Ducks. covering the yeah. Oregon Ducks, he, uh, he got into the beef. So there was the whole fight at the frat party. Yep. Yep. Tremaine Johnson was suspended. Tyson kept pressing him on it. I'll tell you a story about the the uh, something that people probably don't know. So every single semester of the University of Montana Journalism School, they have a Polner professor. Yeah. So the Polner professor is a guest professor. Yeah. And they bring in different journalists of different levels. Or Which is a really cool thing. It's really cool. And I was so mad that the gal that was mine, I'm not going to trash her, but she was like a business person from some Canadian newspaper and she had like almost no value to me. Mm-hmm. And that sucked. Cause I took that <laughs> class and it was just like, cause there have been some cool ones. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I could have had Kevin Van Volkenberg or I could have had like Chris Jones who was a and, lead feature writer for Esquire. And I was going to say, those are two that jumped to mind. And now it's kind of cool. Cause I think people like to trash on journalism, but there are a lot of guys and some girls that you went to school with and before you and after you who have, doing pretty cool things oh man i mean think about that sports staff it was me yeah. roman tyson and bill i'm the one that's dragging ass around here like <laughs> oh just created your own independent oh, yeah, media. Yeah, but those yeah, guys whatever. but i mean <laughs> shit man bill Orms sitting there with kobe bryant yeah, you know he's covering the lakers yeah. for the athletic. I mean, it's it's amazing i'm very proud of those guys they're still good friends of mine and we've done podcasts together and and uh you know, if if by chance Roman ever listens to this, I am going to hire you someday, dude. You're going to be able to come back to Montana. It's going to be glorious. But uh, I was no. Roman. Um, um, I knew Roman when he was uh, in, in. When you were a an RA? Is well, I wasn't an RA anymore, but I knew Roman. Let's Quite a character that guy is. Uh, but the polar professor that semester was Chris Jones. Yep. And. Chris Jones is a phenomenal feature writer in terms of like the news covering aspect of things. He really liked to press buttons. He really wanted to press the people that were in power. What Bobby Houck did when he boycotted the Cayman was stupid. It was chicken shit. It was, it was stupid. It was stupid. But at the same time, it was chicken shit all the way around. Because, oh, yeah. No, I'm not Bobby Houck came in, and they asked him the question. He said, they violated team rules. It's an in-house issue. I'm not going to address it again. Mm-hmm. They asked him over and over again. He's the adult in the situation. He shouldn't have snapped like that and said, you know what? You're done. No more questions for you. He shouldn't have had his players boycott. There should be no gag order for a public institution and an adult telling kids that they can't talk to a student reporter. That's just the most immature bullshit ever. But on the other hand, if you want to have tact as a beat writer, you got to – this is the thing that escapes so many of these young journalists. So many of these young journalists only talk to their sources in press conferences when the recorder's on. That's mm-hmm. the dumbest thing that you can do. After the very initial one, you just go to Coach Houck and say, you know, you don't have to tell me the situation. I'm under a lot of pressure from my editor. I'm under a lot of pressure from my teachers to get to the bottom of this. If you just want to leave it out, is you know, there's so many different ways to negotiate it, and I, I think that there was a lot more fault on the student part of it than maybe necessarily needed to be. And I also think that then when the boycott happened, 
Then all of a sudden you have a national media person that's the yeah. Perlman professor, mm-hmm. and he goes and basically tattletales on you on a national level, and all of a sudden Jeff Perlman's writing co- columns. It was just such immature bullshit, both sides. You know, Bobby could have handled it a lot better, but those guys could have handled it a lot better too. You know, you <laughs> got to have some sort of tact. You can have a lot of conversations off the record, and that's the thing that I think so many. Kids I mean, my thing to. about that front is, and don't get me wrong, it's like I, I don't think Bobby handled it well, but I don't. I mean, like the whole thing, but. My thing is, is like, why ask him the same question every day over and over again? You know? Right. It's like, I think you already know the answer. So you right. ask the question, you got his statement, go print your story. Right. You know? They were just trying to inflame the situation. It's, it's silly. It, it, was, it was bad operation all the way around on both sides. But it, so anyway, so I'm living in Ellensburg, Washington, 2010, 2011, covering Central Washington University. And... That was such a really crazy first job because I didn't know anything about D2 sports. <laughs> and D2 sports at a state institution that's a quote-unquote directional university like Central Washington, people in the big sky make fun of Eastern Washington for all their built-in advantages. Well, let's accentuate that by a lot when you're Central Washington. You're getting fee waivers for all sorts of things, whether it's boosting minority population on your campus or boosting – uh, less advantaged students or accepting people that maybe have questionable academics. Like you're getting help from the state for all those things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they brought in 27 drop downs when I, my second year there. I mean, it was like last chance you before last chance you. <laughs> I mean, you had, I mean, I remember there were two linebackers, like one punched a cop in the face in Reno. Like Ooh. another guy got like an aggravated DUI. Like it was anything goes. Like it was all. And so, speaking of second chances, that's where you became close to Ty, right? That's Ty right. So, I was one, about to so say that. 2011 or 2010, I'm sitting at the wing stop. I have no friends in Ellensburg. I'm just sitting there writing, drinking a beer, eating wings. And I see this guy with a giant head walk in. And I'm like, <laughs> is that Coach Ty? It's, it's got to be Coach Ty. It's got to be. And he, my first feature story that I wrote that was the game day cover for the Missoulian was about Ty. I had worked on it when I was in college, and I pitched it to him. That was my like first "quote unquote" big break, mm-hmm. and so I had known Ty from way back then. And so I just went over and I was like, well, "Holy shit, what are you doing here?" He's like, "Well, holy shit, what are you doing here?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm covering El- I'm covering Central Washington." He's like, "Well, I'm uh, I'm volunteer coaching for Central for the last half of this year. So what's going on?" And then I was like, "He's like, I'm sure you heard." And I'm like, "Yeah, I did." And he's like, "Well, you know, maybe you can actually." Maybe we could get together and we could help, you could help me. And I was like, well, okay, you know, I'm not here to bail anybody out, but I think if you do have a story, it's still can a do heck it. of an interview. I mean, you can right. And so, you know, we ended up parsing through all this stuff, and everybody knows all the, all the weird details or whatever. He wakes mm-hmm. up with a gun in his room, takes the gun back, all of a sudden he's arrested. And he was honest with me. He's candid. He said, you know, hey, I don't remember what happened that night, but I'm not robbing anybody, I'm not stealing anybody's guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically he showed me all the video footage from all the places that he'd been that night. And he was, I mean, basically I wrote a story just about kind of helping him clear his name and all the charges got dropped and they ended up getting hired back here. And he's been one of my go-to guys ever since, you know, I, I consider Ty a friend personally. Uh, it's been interesting the way that our careers have overlapped, but that's the, the, uh, the experience in Ellensburg was pretty crazy. I was only there for two years, but uh, I would say in terms of developing sources and stuff like that, it was a great experience. In terms of learning the logistics of how you operate with a big-time athletic department, I and quote-unquote big-time, but I consider Montana a big-time athletic department, and Montana State as well, uh, I didn't learn anything. Uh, 
Yeah. Because there was really no necessity <laughs> to go through sports information. I mean, I'd been on the beat for two weeks, and Blaine Bennett, the head football coach, called me on my personal cell phone. I had never given him my number. He's like, hey, I heard you're the new newspaper guy. I said, oh, yeah. He said, I'd love to get to know you. Where do you live? I say, I, well, I stay at the university court apartments. And he said, cool. I got a booster function. I'm going to come pick you up. So he came <laughs> to my house and picked me up and took me to a booster's house. And then we drank whiskey and got to know each other. And, like, it was so old school. That would never happen. I was say, it's, no. like, can you imagine? Like, Chote and Bobby are not pulling. I mean, open invitation. Open invitation, boys. Like, if they want to come pick me up at my house and go to a booster function, I am down. But didn't happen. But, uh, no, it was interesting just uh, cutting my teeth there. But then I actually was about one day away from taking – George Geis's job at the Great Falls Tribune. Oh, interesting. So the Great Falls Tribune had the same sports staff for probably 30 years. Scott yep. Manch, George Geis, Mike Town, and Lee Vinoy. Yep. They kicked ass harder than anybody in the state of Montana ever has. When we were growing up, they were they were the best paper in the I state. I mean, dude, the prep section was crazy, yep. man. Like, yep. you could go – I mean, I used to read that thing in yeah, study like, hall in high what school. Was there, what was the, 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 the Tribune? Super couple, State. The Super – I mean, that was like everybody paid attention. Everybody. I mean, I remember there was Great Falls students in every high school yep. in Missoula. I mean, yep. you could – they were distributed all over the place. And, like, Mike Towns' prep notebook, you know, George Geis's golf column, Scott Manch's – you know, I mean, they were, they were so good. It was such a great sports section. And so I was sitting there at Denny's with Scott Manch, and I was like a day away from taking this job, and I was going to cover the Grizz and do prep stuff. And uh, then I heard that Will Holden was leaving the Chronicle, and they had already hired his replacement, who actually was Tyson Alger. Oh, no kidding. Huh. And – I was friends with Tyson, and I called Tyson up, and I was like, hey, dude, uh, I know you got offered that Bozeman Daily Chronicle job, and I just want to let you know that I just found out about it, and I'm throwing my hat in the mix, and I don't want there to be any hard feelings, but I'm going for it full force. And he's like, cool, man. Like, may the best man win. And uh, so I called the managing editor of the Bozeman Chronicle and told him all the reasons why he should hire me, and then they ended up doing it. And so huh. – uh, it was a it, part of it was because Ellensburg was the same corporation as – Okay. Bozeman. Okay. So I could do basically an internal transfer. Hmm. Uh, then I went to Bozeman and worked there covering Montana State, and they won their first of three straight Big Sky titles. And uh, So this is Ash. This is Ash. Okay. Uh, the media access there was very interesting. I remember my guy, Bill Lamberty, who's now become a great friend of mine and has helped me more than almost anybody in my whole career. Bill Lamberty is also a secret fan of the pod. Don't he, tell anybody. Oh, great. Well, he uh, – According to you. He. That's a joke. He would hardly even like acknowledge that I was alive because he knew I was a University of Montana alum. <laughs> so I covered the shit out of the Bozeman Bucks baseball team that first summer in Bozeman because Bill was heavily involved. His son was playing at the time. I was like, dude, I just got to get in. I got to get in with this guy. And it, I grew up with Cody Kirk because he's from French yep. my brother's age, playing on the same AAU team. And so that helped me a little bit too. But they, at the exact moment I got that job, my brother had not retired from playing football yet. Oh, so your brother's so still a Grizzly. They straight up think yeah. that I'm like a Grizz spy, like put in Bozeman to steal all their secrets. So they were like hesitant to give me access to practice and to give me interviews. But we knocked down those doors pretty quick, and then, that, and then it evolved into just being a, a good gig. But uh, I was the sports writer just covering the beat through the end of the 2011 season, and then the sports editor left. Uh, his dad got sick or something, and that was when it all started to go downhill. They 
told me that they were not they were, they were going to promote me, but they weren't going to replace him. Uh-huh. So now I was going to have to keep my old job and do my new job. <laughs> and that lasted for about six months. And then they came in and they laid off. So I had four full-time guys and two part-time guys working for me. We were covering 29 high schools, and we were covering Montana State, and we were covering – you know, Frontier Conference, Rodeo, all the fun Montana stuff. We had a huge outdoor section. All of it was cool. And then they came in, they laid off all my guys but one. And the only guy they let me keep was the one I didn't want to keep. And, and that was Sample, right? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so so then we were just straight up then we were straight up just a two man deal. And that was a struggle. And then I ran into Kyle Sample in Missoula when I was home one time. And he was working like Wells Fargo or like campaigning for John Tester. Who knows? That guy's reinvented himself more than anybody I know. But uh, I was like, bro, do you ever want to get back into writing? He's like, I, I would love to. I just don't have any opportunities. I was like, I got one. So you're going to be my weekend. Do everything. You're going to just write for me. I'm, you're going to cover it. And he's like, sweet. So that lasted for a little while. And then basically it came to a head where more layoffs were coming. It, we were short-staffed. They were exploiting me. I didn't take it. I had no days off for like 182 straight days. And So you went and dropped a bomb. So I went and dropped a bomb. And I basically was I, – I mean, you can look it up on the internet. It's everywhere. I did a story with Slate. I did a story with Deadspin. I put them on blast and told them how bad corporate America sucks and how corporate America is ruining the newspaper industry. And uh, I got fired abruptly. I did it intentionally two weeks before the Cat Grizz game because I had all sorts of stories already in the can that I hadn't submitted. So I took all that content and launched a website uh, in association with Bobcat Nation. So I'm sure a lot of people – You were the Bobcat beat. Bobcat Beat was the front page of Bobcat right. Nation. That's right. And uh, it was subscription-based, and it was very rudimentary at first. I had no photos. I had nothing, but we made it work. And uh, so, we, I mean, we got about 350 subscribers the first week. And we just, uh, we just kept it rolling. And uh, so then 2014, my brother, I guess 2013, my brother graduated from the University of Montana Business School, and we knew we wanted to work together. And so he came and started taking photos for me for Bobcat Beat. And we did that just for one year. And then we were like, all right, we have a captive audience being tied with Bobcat Nation. But we also have so many limitations, especially journalism-wise. Because mm-hmm. people around the league, like people in Bozeman and people at Montana State, they knew that we were like a separate entity from the message board. We but were just the, with the message But board. with the message yeah. board. We knew if we wanted to do anything <clears throat> excuse me, other than just that, that we had to – we had to become independent. Mm-hmm. So we launched Skyline Sports in uh, the fall of 2014. And that was when Tim Cramsey's offense went nuts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the Grizz were rolling a little bit too. McBlaney's last year. And then we hit it full force. We, we did like a whole new redesign and we launched our brand new Skyline Sports. And it was the very first day of August in 2015. And the very first game we covered – or the new improved Skyline Sports was Bob Stitt and <laughs> the Grizz beating North Dakota State, and then the Cats were I think preseason number three in the country, national championship aspirations. The Grizz beat the number one team in the country. Now we got both teams in the top ten. We're like, fuck yeah, we're rolling. This is exactly <laughs> what we wanted. And then everything that happened after that for the next four years was just so unpredictable and mostly bad. And. Uh, <laughs> It's just so. So it, this is your fault. Is it's just it's is. just so interesting because like the there's always gonna be the hardcore fans that want to read the what's and whys about everything, mm-hmm. why it's going good, why it's going bad. But to really take it to the next level, you have to have all the fair weather fans, and that's exactly the situation that Montana's going through with the attendance. Like 
to really sell that stadium out. Like this year, it yep. was twenty four thousand, not twenty six five. Those extra twenty five hundred are just the people that are just going to go when the Grizz are in the top ten. That's winning. that's yep. what it is. Yep. Yep. It's just like five hundred people subscribe, or you... they died, like we discussed, <laughs> <laughs> or they're dead. But to so, get to like a thousand, you got to get all the fair weather people. So so let let's pause a little bit here and sure. and talk a little bit more on Skyline. Yeah, is it named after what I think it's named after? It's named after the Skyline Conference, that's which what was I this conference that the Grizz were in. So many years ago, before the forming of the Big Sky Conference, yep. And it's been you and your brother from the start. Me and my so brother from the start. So you work at a Bobcat beat on your own, but yep. you and your brother together. Yep. Do you both post from your Twitter account, or is it just you? Just me. Okay. Yeah. Because I think that I, it, it, the casual observer of the Grizz Fan Pod Twitter must be able to tell when it's Brent posting and when it's me posting. <laughs> Luke never posts. So yeah, Luke, Luke, Luke doesn't even I'm know so the password. Right? Is it always Coulter on that? <laughs> um, so you launch Skyline, and you've got a, a huge you know, subscriber list already of yep. cat fans. Yep. How... How did it go trying to break in getting Grizz fans to believe that you were going to cover both? I mean, it's still never gone well. <laughs> Grizz fans don't pay for anything. It's just it's just the way that it is. Uh, we are both subscribers. I know you guys room. are. I do. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I thought initially we thought we could just cater to the Montana State side of things and then just uh, dabble in the Grizz, you know, do what I could. And uh, I think that that – because Grizz fans are so territorial, and vice versa, Cat fans are too. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't helping us on either side because Grizz mm-hmm. fans would go to the Skyline page and there'd be three Cat stories and one Grizz story, and they'd be like, oh, it's a Cat website, I don't want it. Yeah. And then Cat fans would be like, well, why is there a Grizz story? I pay for Cats. What are you doing? So then when Sample got let go at the Missoulian, I thought that'd be a chance to make a big splash. And uh, when he started working for us, it, it was good. It was decent, but like – what he was bringing to the table was what we were paying him. So we weren't actually getting ahead and Mm -hmm. he wasn't making hardly any money. So it was interesting. I thought, I wish it would have got a little better, but uh, you know, we've, we've pivoted so much since I started working at ESPN Missoula. Cause I, after Sample left, then I hired Andrew Houghton. who's now covering Idaho state for the Idaho state journal. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it's kind of cool that, they legitimately like his clips to get hired for that job yeah. was working for Skyline. Yeah, Sports. yeah. And Madison so, Grizzly, yeah. the sports editor over there, he's a friend of mine, and uh, I mean, he respects a lot of what we do. And uh, so, um, when I started working, it's pretty at, impressive for a not real media outlet. <laughs> <laughs> when I started working at ESPN Radio here in Missoula, then we basically were able to pivot and um, give pretty much both sides exactly what they want so Mm -hmm. now we write a ton of premium content for montana state part of that is just because we can today you know choate and his offensive coordinators running backs coach had a press conference i got 45 minutes of content i can do three or four premium stories out of that or or multimedia package or whatever and we still do a ton of stuff that we charge for on the Bobcat side of things. We still charge for recruiting across the board. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that really we do that really no one else does. The Missoulian dabbled in it when Sample was there, but they don't anymore. That was the only time they did a good it's job. It's the only time they really ever done it. And so we we do that full force. And I think that that's – you know, I, I do it for multiple – I cover recruiting like we do for multiple reasons. I think that fans are more voracious about that than maybe any other element. Optimism is high when a kid is coming to be a Grizz. It's also one of the most positive things that we can do for the program. Mm-hmm. 
because all it is is these kids just saying all the great things about Montana. Here's why I want to be a Grizz. Here's what's awesome about being a Grizz. Here's what Coach Houck sold me on. And also, though, I tell every single kid the exact same thing when I first talk to them. I tell them, congratulations, this is one of the biggest moments of your life. And I said, I, I promise you that I will write two stories on you in your career, and the rest of it's up to you. I'll write a story on you the day that you when you commit, and I'll write a story on you your senior year if you make it to that point. Mm-hmm. Every other thing is up to you. You might get 150 stories written about you, like Troy Anderson or Dalton Snead or Dante Olson, or you might get zero. But if you make it to the end, you have a story, and you'll get a story then too. But uh, then it's also just a way for us to like market to the, those families and those people. Mm-hmm. And you know, then it's, it's not the first time I ever talked to the kid when I talked to him when he actually plays for the team. So um, we still charge for that kind of stuff. But – most of our premium content is about the Bobcats, and we give away most of our Grizz content for free. And the way that we mitigate the cost, um, we still have plenty of premium Grizz content too, but the way that we have made it work is we've gotten several different sponsors that are interested in specifically Grizz or specifically Bobcat content. And so now we have a dual revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So we have advertising revenue and we have subscription revenue. Do you think that it was easier to build and maintain a Bobcat list because at the time there wasn't nearly as much bobcat content i mean when you started um lee didn't have a beat writer in bozeman right and they have since removed it too i was going to ask you about that because rachok or whatever rock got you um uh, he obviously he he stepped down for the second year in a row right um (laughs) um and I'm here. I, I think he's hard to replace in that position because you got to have somebody who's a self-starter who will go cover a program where they don't have even a bureau it's like you're there on your own man if I was to be back in my previous life, I had a chance to cover the University of Wyoming for the uh, – so basically Casper and Sheridan have a co-op paper, and the University of Wyoming's in Laramie. I could have covered Wyoming football and men's basketball for that, the Casper Tribune, Star Tribune, I think is what it's called, and not had to live in that town. To me – as somebody that loves writing and doesn't like any of the other bullshit that comes with <laughs> newspapers, that would have been the dream job of all dream jobs. I mean, I think that Greg had the greatest gig of all time. Just crank copy about the cats and send it. Yeah. I mean, that's never have to write the bad sounds things. Sounds awesome, dude. I've gone on and on and on about how I, I think that the, the balance of Lee coverage in Montana is so unfair towards the Grizz because there isn't a Lee newspaper in Bozeman. Right. So all the negative BS isn't stirred up on the same level that it is here. But that's not what we're talking about. It's true. Um, So, you know, talking about establishing content, we'll get kind of back to ESPN Missoula in a minute. Um, Do you think that – how were you received? I mean, obviously you had a a relationship with Lamberty. Yep. um, So that helped on that front. But you've also – established yourself as, as covering the big sky. Right. And you seem to know a lot of the coaches yep. and, and things like that. So when did those relationships start being built? Well, see, this is so interesting because in terms of the prevalence that we cover the big sky on, we've scaled it back quite a bit just because it was so hard to market ourselves into other markets. Mm-hmm. And because of time constraints, but also – I love journalism. I'm just an interested person. I just I find football particularly fascinating, not mm-hmm. even from the game perspective, but just from I mean, 
I, you find me a football coach that's just a normal person, and <laughs> you'll find me the first football coach that's just a normal person. Like these guys are just fascinating. They're all either alphas or they're so driven or they're crazy or they're like a combination of all of those. But the characters, especially in the big sky, are just fascinating. I mean, Bruce Barnum is one of the most fascinating people that I just know of any sort. I mean, he's just so funny and just so out there and such a character. But, I mean, Coach Alk and Coach Chode are so funny and so out there too and just the dichotomy between the coaches. But forever, the big sky had a conference-wide coaches call. Every Wednesday. Yeah. And it was, you had 10 to 12 minutes with every single coach in the league. Well, even when I was just covering the Cats, I would get on that thing and and talk to every coach. Because why not? And some of the stuff you, I mean, you could get quotes on players from Montana State or players from Montana or whatever. That call, guys from Portland State and Northern Arizona and, and, Sac State, they don't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden you establish yourself as like the go-to source even if you're just the Bobcat guy. And that was the whole like impetus. At least you're asking them questions. That's right. And that was the whole impetus for Skyline Sports because then I was like, well, man, we could easily cover the whole league. If all I did as my all-league content was just just this call and record it into a podcast, that's still more than almost everybody else is doing. And, of course, the league wasn't even doing that yet, so mm-hmm. we started doing it. And then that just started into like – not even necessarily featuring players, but just writing like trend stories about the league. Like if I can just ask all the coaches, what do you think of 13 teams in the league? What do you think of the schedule? What do you think of the challenges of recruiting? What's your philosophy in developing offensive linemen? The features were just so money because you have all these varying opinions on all these different things. And I have a captive interview with every single one of these guys and they're not getting interviewed by anybody else. So I'm getting the best content from them. So that's how we first started doing it. The league canceled that call. I was going to say, why did the league stop doing that? Because the Montana coaches don't want to do it. <laughs> because they already have too much media to do. <laughs> the irony, right? <laughs> Which this, is because I want the Montana schools to throw their weight around. So I'm actually, I guess I'm okay with that. Right. But, but then this is what's so funny. This is why now with my ESPN radio show, I can call up Portland State or Sac State. And the, I mean, we made it into a joke this year. When Sac State beat Eastern Washington, we're like, man, what if they get it rolling? And then they smash the Cats. We're like, damn. And then they kick the shit out of the Grizz. We're like, well, okay. That first week, we had had Troy Taylor on the show. Mm-hmm. But then the next week, I had seen Kevin Thompson live in person. I'm like, damn, this guy's a real deal. He's really good. And then they were going to play the Grizz, and he had been recruited by Hal. So I was like, well, let's get Kevin Thompson on the show. We ended up being really good, and the guy's already graduated, so he's, you know – working on his doctorate or whatever. He's going to be a seventh-year <laughs> senior next year. But he had a very flexible schedule, too. So I, I told my producer, I said, well, okay, so we want to interview him coming into the cat game because he's the quarterback. Now we want to interview him coming in the Grizz game because he's Bobby Houck. So then by the time we'd already had him two weeks in a row, I was like, dude, let's just interview Kevin Thompson every single week as our, like, California correspondent from the big sky who might win the Walter Payton Award because I know Sac State will just say yes. Uh And so then we just set up a little Wednesday at 2 with Kevin Thompson. We had him on the show six weeks in a row. But, like, that's the difference because Sac State, they don't have shit going on, so they'll just dole it out. They'll just, you know, you can call whoever you want. You get whatever interview you want. So, But they also knew, I mean, he wasn't going to embarrass anybody. (laughs) Absolutely, right. No, great great representative of your program, too. Definitely. So... Yeah, so to answer your question, we've pared down a lot of our Big Sky stuff just because of the uh, the workload of it all and because that call got canceled. I wish that it wouldn't have. That's but, a bummer, yeah. A um, couple things before we kind of rotate into kind of a wrap-up. I could go on on this forever. No, I know you can. Um, how did the uh, the ESPN radio show and moving back to Missoula come about? 
So I had a guest spot on Tutel and Tucker, the previous, I guess, inaugural daily sports talk show mm-hmm. in Missoula. And uh, so Tucker Sargent was the previous co-host of the show with Ryan Tutel. He and I had gone to college together. We were buddies in college. And uh, I'd run into him one time. And he was like, oh, I heard you do this big sky thing. He's like, would you ever want to come on the radio? I was like, I, I had done a lot of radio. I have a radio show in Bozeman that is just in the fall. It's a pregame Bobcat show. And I also do a Bobcat roundtable every Wednesday there. And uh, I'd done radio hits all over the place, you know, just as the being the beat writer for the newspaper, it's always in the media guys. So you get, you know, radio stations for wherever the cats are playing. Mm-hmm. So I'd done plenty of radio. I had launched my podcast uh, in 2012, so I was comfortable talking and stuff like that. And so Tucker was like, yeah, you ever want to come on like once or twice a week? And I said, absolutely, I would. So then we started doing uh, 15 minutes every two weeks, or twice a week, excuse me, just like a kind of around the big sky, whatever I wanted to feature. They let me talk about whatever I wanted. And so that became pretty consistent. It was pretty fun. And so then when uh, Tucker moved on, he's the head coach of the University of Montana lacrosse team. He's you know does dabbles in real estate. He runs the hockey lacrosse store. He just got too busy. He was like, I, I can't do the – four to six thing every day and and so he walked away and so Tutel called me and so it was a big decision because we were so much of our bread and butter has always been in Bozeman so my reporting on the cats had always been so essential and so I didn't know what was going to happen leaving there and it was going into year two of coach Choate coach Fish was still there I had a great relationship with him Mm -hmm. But I just thought that so many people in Bozeman was going to think that I was abandoning yeah. them. And uh, that was true. We lost, I mean, our two presenting sponsors for Skyline Sports stopped advertising with us for uh, close to two years because they <laughs> thought that I had gone back to my grisly ways. <laughs> and uh, initially doing the ESPN show just in Missoula, was, it was good. It was fun. But uh, it wasn't what we wanted it to be. And I thought that we were just missing so much. And I thought the state was missing so much. And so then when we negotiated the deal with SWX Montana to take the show statewide on TV, that was a huge windfall because then simultaneously the sports talk station in Bozeman went off the air. Basically it got condemned. Uh, nobody's paying their bills. I don't know what the deal is, but whatever. <laughs> the point is there's no sports talk radio in Bozeman. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden we can be have sports talk radio on the TV in Bozeman. Now all of a sudden I can get back in with all my Montana State people. I knew Fish was going to be my guy because he would always help. Then we convinced, and then Bill Lamberty helped me get back in with Cho, and then all of a sudden now we're rolling. Now we have Montana State people on the show almost every single day. We can play it off with the yeah, Grizz you, thing. Frankly, you overdo it. It makes me sick, but that's fine. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, dudes. This is the thing. We would do exactly 50-50 Bobcat Grizz if the Grizz facilitated as many interviews. Yeah, that's a question I'm getting to. Um, any chance of you guys syndicating into Bozeman Absolutely. or other places? That's our number one goal for 2020 is syndicating around the state. We want to be in the seven major markets. Because you guys do a pretty good job of covering some high school sports and interviewing totally. kids from around the state. Yep. That I would never know about yep. if, you know, if I wasn't listening to the show. Totally. Yeah, no, that's the number one goal. So let's talk about UM because I was, I mean, you know, obviously we talked about you know, building your relationships with the cats and your background, stuff like that. Um, I joked earlier about, you know, this is pretty good for a non-media company. Um, but to a point, it's true. I mean, breaking in with UM hasn't been quite as easy. Has not. What? Um, I think that there's a lot of different... Um, reasons for that when uh, when we were first launching Skyline Sports 
Dave Guffey, longtime sports information director, who I had a good relationship with, his son Pat, who passed away when I was in high school. He was my baseball coach. Mm-hmm. His son Matt is a year older than me. We played on the same traveling baseball team. So I've known their family for a long time. And Dave always, even when I was at the Chronicle or when I was just quote-unquote the Bobcat guy, Dave always helped me out. He, and Cat Griswick, he was great. He always helped me out. And uh, then that summer, Dave retired, and they had hired a guy named Mike Hansen. Mm-hmm. And I had talked with Mike extensively because I was like, man, we had credentials around the Big Sky Conference. And I knew I was good to go at Montana State. I knew I was good to go everywhere but Montana. I was like, I got to make sure I'm good at Montana. If we're going to do this, we have to, it starts and ends with the Grizz. And uh, so I talked to Mike frequently via email as well as on the phone throughout the summer. And then I had a meeting that set up for him with him that was going to be, I think, the week before the Big Sky kickoff, which is a media conference every year in the summer. And I was just, I had planned on just taking him to dinner and getting to know him a little bit. And he was kind of just presenting our idea to him. And then I remember I called him, emailed him, and texted him with no response. And I'm like, oh, shoot. They're not going to credential us. We're going to get stood up. You know, yeah. they're going to try to monetize everything on gogrizz.com. This is going to be a disaster. What's going on? And then, like, a week goes by, and then I find out that this guy had a heart attack. He died. Yeah, yeah, just the craziest yeah. shit I've ever yeah. heard. I was like, what? I never even got a chance to meet him. I only spoke to him on the phone, but he was a really nice guy. And then he was just dead. And I was like, it was crazy. But I think that that put all the media relations at Montana into just kind of a state of, of disarray for a little while. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've had, they they had some turnover and then they ended up hiring a couple different new sports information directors. And, uh, which is kind of a unique model. It is. Yeah. And, and so, when we were first here, we weren't here. So that was hard. When we were first doing Skyline, we, we didn't have anybody here. And then when I hired Sample, that helped. Um, <laughs> but as you guys know, Sample's, uh, he, he's, a, he's a really good journalist. He also likes to stir the pot. And so <laughs> he, he was so... He might have been the guy at the press conference asking the same question over and over. He, it's he, possible. he was in with Coach DeCure and the basketball team, which was great. And uh, it was like in and out with the football team and, and who really knows. But just, I don't know, the way that he, they... I will credit him. He told me this great run of the previous three years with the Grizz basketball team yeah. was coming before anybody else did. Yep. Yeah, no, you could see it with Travis. So, uh, but yeah, so it was it was interesting. It was it was tough to break in here um, for a variety of reasons. A lot of which is just the the fan base in general. Mm-hmm. I think there was a practice that you and I were at with a certain ACL injury that probably made it a little tricky as well too. Yeah, <laughs> that was still with Delaney, wasn't it? No, no, that was still. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. that was that. I think that was the first practice where Bob Stitt and the new staff within the University of Montana that was there learned about the thirst for information the from the Grizz fan base. Totally. Because I remember being what? there because Ben Wire. Mm-hmm. Collapses, yeah. take, takes a takes a funny hit, and this was fall camp, wasn't it? Was yep, it fall? It was fall camp, yep. And um, <clears throat> of and, course, it's an open it's an open practice, mm-hmm. and so it gets tweeted out, and it's it's by all, multiple yeah, people, not it, just you, like it, multiple. It, oh right, no, it, I mean it, it's all yeah, right. it's it's all over the place, <laughs> and then uh, the next day or the day after, I can't remember Stitt's practice schedule. I walk in there as a fan and a QB club guy 
and I'm the only guy there. <laughs> and it's because they kicked everybody out, I think, right? Where they, yeah. they, they were like, no more media. It's like, yep. it's done, done, done. Yep. Like, that's yep. it. Yep. Yeah, it was interesting times. And, and you've you've grown into that. I mean, like it seems like this season you you had some stuff worked out where you could get some interviews after practice and stuff like that. And I don't think people understand that that was a huge step forward for you. Totally for anybody. Yeah. A lot. Of, yeah, I mean, the so much of the restriction was. Not had nothing to do with Montana as much as it had to do with my specific schedule. My show is on from four to six every day. Right. When Coach Out came back, he, he Bobby starts practice at three thirty. Yeah. That's yeah. what time practice starts. <laughs> you, you don't have class. You don't have. There is no flexibility. Practice starts at three thirty. That's when the Grizz practice. So when pra- and the, their media policy is that Coach Out will be available before Tuesday or Wednesday practice. So I was always able to get to him. Players are not available till after practice. That was a new policy. That was one that really uh, hurt. Because then they end practice at 5.30 and I can't be there because I'm on the radio. So basically I just decided to – so we, we basically evolved the Tutel Nuana show to then on Wednesdays feature our ESPN roundtable, which is a 30-minute pre-recorded interview mm-hmm. so, so, then, can so I can leave. So that we play uh, that at 5.15 yeah, and then yeah. I leave. So then Tutel only has to carry the last segment of the show by himself. So, and then, you know, most people that were just listening on the radio, they just think I'm still on the radio and I'm down there doing interviews and it's yeah. great. Which Tutel could talk by himself in a oh, radio for six hours. For six hours. Yeah. Absolutely. No question. But, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of different things that have ebbed and flowed. Uh, I would say right now at this exact moment, my relationships down at the University of Montana and especially with sports information are top notch. I think that those Good. guys are helping me a lot. I think we've... We've broken it down. I don't think anybody – I think that everybody – I think took it took so long. It took five years for people to understand that I'm not the Bobcat guy, <laughs> but I'm also not the Grizz guy. I'm not the Grizz spy who moved to Bozeman to pass my brother her secrets <laughs> while he was playing for the Grizz. But, but from, I'm also not the Bobcat guy who's here to take down the University of yeah. Montana. I was going to say, and for better or worse, you're also not – the Missoulian non-sports guy who's totally. just out there looking for whatever totally. clickbait. I also find. think that I, I also think we ruffled a lot of feathers initially because we we didn't have boots on the ground here. Yet we still broke Bob Stitt's hiring. Mm-hmm. We still broke Shannon Schwain's hiring. We still broke Bob Stitt's firing. We still broke Bobby Houck's hiring. We still broke all Bobby Houck's assistant coaches. We had guys on the ground for that whole second part of that. Yeah. But I broke the Bob Stitt hire, or Sample helped me break the Bob Stitt hiring before he actually fully worked for me. And we broke the Shannon Schwain hiring when we weren't didn't have a presence in Missoula. I think that's very disconcerting for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does this guy know before anybody else when he's not even here? Who is he talking to? I would be leery of me too, probably. Uh, but we, we, we really have put a lot of work into making sure that the relationships are good. And I think that they, they do do a pretty good job of facilitating. Here's the thing. It's not just Montana that's evolved. Everybody's evolved. When Rob Ash was the coach, my brother used to sit in the middle of the practice field taking pictures. We had the best practice photos you've ever seen. Yeah. Now – That ain't happening. Now everybody has a website. Yeah. Including the schools now, so now everybody knows they can produce their own content. The Grizz and the Cats both produce great content. They, they're videographers, they're photo people. They produce sweet stuff, but they want it to be the exclusive stuff. Mm-hmm. 
that's fine. It's your brand. You want to control that message. You want to use it for marketing. If you're doing it well, I totally get it. Everybody's closed practice now too. We talk about the media access being so much better at Montana State. That doesn't mean that Choate's practices are open. They're not. They're, they're open for 30 minutes and then you're out. Mm-hmm. They also, during fall camp, you can go to all sorts of different practices that aren't fully padded. You can go to the scrimmages, but any of like the actual real padded practices, you're after not. 30 minutes, you're out. Go. Yeah. But you can come back and they'll have prearranged interviews and you can have so much content. I love watching practice. I think most journalists are not really that into it. They just want to have the quotes for the stories because you can't have the stories unless you have the quotes. That's the one thing that I think Montana State is outpacing Montana in. You can get interviews and stuff at Grizz practice. You can. But Choate makes up for maybe not being able to watch a lot of the stuff or not having access to a lot of stuff by making sure that you have more than what you need in terms of stories Mm -hmm. and i just think that that would be the way if i was running an athletic department from a multimedia perspective i would totally keep everything in-house when it comes to multimedia stuff i want my video to be the sweetest video that's out there so i can make money off it i get it i would probably not let a lot of the practice stuff what what coach Houck does during fall camp this that's what i would do as a coach Mm -hmm. you can come and watch all you want and you can say Garrett Graves looks great today playing safety. But as soon as you say Dalton Sneed throws a skinny post to Samari Toure who burns Corbin Walker and the Grizz, you know, mm-hmm. that's treading on thin ice. Yeah. And then as soon as you're saying Montana's running a three tight end set, yeah. you're done. done. And then as soon as you say this guy broke his ankle, he's going to be out for six weeks, you're absolutely cut off. I totally agree with all that, but I just wish that they could have we could have the conversations where they would just trust us to report what we want to report. I understand why they don't. But fully... To a point. To a point, right. But at the end of the day, we want to write features and fun stories more than anything. There's a lot of journalists out there that got access to grind, and that's been the trend in modern-day journalism is, you know, write outrageous shit and stir the pot and get the scoop. And and how can they differentiate? And I don't want that. I don't want any of that. I am in it for the football part of it and the kids. I think that writing about the kids is fascinating. I think every single kid on both the Cats and the Grizz have a fun story, especially if you get to your junior or senior year. you got a good story. Yeah. That's all I want is to be able to have access to that. And I think that's one place where Montana State goes all out in letting that happen because it's Free publicity. Mm-hmm. It's free. Like I wrote senior profiles on every single one of the Bobcat players, even though I'm not even in the market because they would facilitate a phone interview. I could talk to them. Hmm. We could talk to assistants. At Montana, you can write senior profiles. Frank Gogol from Missoula did, and I thought his senior profiles were pretty good. But they're not nearly as good as they can be, and that has nothing to do with Frank. It's because if you're writing a senior profile on Josh Sandry, and you can't talk to You Josh can't Sandry. talk to you, – you could, he, he could talk to Josh Sandry. But you can't talk to his position but you can't talk to his position coach. That's a killer. Also, the players are, are in press conference situations, they're not allowed to talk about each other. One-on-ones, we can skirt by with, saying, with talking about each other, but it's still it's not, it's part of the culture. I kind of get the premise, but I also think that like it's pretty harmless, right? I, I get it, but I think they're missing the boat a little bit. And we've talked about it on here. We don't yeah. have to go into it on, yeah. On, yeah. On, on that much. But, I mean, I, I, I get producing your own content. I get kind of having that all out there, but... You know, UM's enrollment's down, attendance is down at football games, attendance is down at basketball games. You know, at some point, I feel like there's got to be an acknowledgement that it's like, we can be kick-ass at the things we do internally, but right. we also need to selectively let some of our partners who haven't burned us 
have some access. No, I think it, it, it just comes down to the respect for the content. And that's the part that mm-hmm. I wish we could, we could cross the bridge. I truly, I totally believe in all those sports information guys' abilities to write stories on all those kids and promote them and promote the programs and do all that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that more isn't better too. Yeah. If they want to do an internal story about Dante Olson and have all the great things and pump them up and all that, that's great. But why wouldn't you also want my take on Dante Olson? Right? Like that could resonate with people at such a higher level because I'm not attached to the program. Well, so I was now say, it's there's a lot of people that are skeptical of they don't go to uh it's like state run media, you know, they don't go <laughs> totally. To, I'm a Niners fan and I never go to the Niners site to read about the Niners because right. you know, I I, I don't want <laughs> controlled you know, I I, I wanna know what's going on. Well, and there's so many different angles you can take at so many different stories too, right? I mean there's so many different angles you could take to the Dante Olson story. So why wouldn't you want them all out there? There's so many different angles you can take. And so I don't know. I, did, I just feel like there's there. I think that it's gotten better. I think that uh, I think it's gotten better. I think it, it still could keep getting better. Mm-hmm. And but that's great. I hope that it does. Credibility and things like that. Those are yeah. positives. Um, I think uh, in the interest of this not going for three hours, we should probably <laughs> kind of pivot to uh, our user question or our listener questions that you know we'll let you weigh on as well. Um, I would be curious though, kind of to, to wrap like this part of this conversation. Um, and there's so many more things we could talk about, but I, I'd be curious who, what's the most interesting story you have told in the Big Sky Conference that doesn't have to do with Montana or Montana State. Oh, man, no question. Fessy Vivaca. Fessy Vivaca was a graduate of the class of 2004 from a high school right outside of Salt Lake City. He did not go to high school, or he, excuse me, he did not go to college. He went and worked at a mechanics shop. BYU, Ed Lamb, who was the head coach at Southern Utah for eight seasons, was at BYU when Fessy Vivaca was a senior in high school. When Ed Lamb was in his either seventh or eighth year at Southern Utah, he saw Fessy Vivaca walking on the Southern Utah campus. He recognized him because he had recruited him to BYU. <laughs> Fessy Vivaca, mind you, is a six foot four, three hundred and sixty five pound Polynesian guy. Mm-hmm. Impossible to miss. I was gonna say, so he definitely yeah. recognized him. So Ed Lamb walked up to him and said, Hey, I'm Coach Lamb. Do you remember me from when I recruited you? You know, some nine years ago? And he said, Yeah. He said, What have you been up to? He said you know, I was I was working at the mechanic shop and uh, and you know, I did it and I just realized that I kind of hit the ceiling. So I, you know, I got a family, I got a wife and kids, and I I'm going back to school, coach. And he said, "Wait, so did you just enroll?" He said, "Yeah, I did." This guy's thirty. <laughs> he and the coach just ran into him on campus. Saw him walking around, <laughs> and said, "So you just enrolled?" And and Fessy says, "Yeah, I, I I just started. This is my first semester." He said, "So you you never went to school anywhere? No junior college, nothing." He said, "No, sir, never went to school." He said, "Well, would you like to come play nose tackle?" <laughs> 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 uh, so he did, and uh, Fessy never was able to really play more than uh, more than a couple series in a row. Mm-hmm. Physical conditioning wasn't quite there, <laughs> sure. but six four, three hundred fifty pound Polynesian guy who's thirty going on thirty two by the time he's wow. a senior. Uh, p- pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, it's as Jeff Choate said when, before they played, he said, you know, I'm all for opportunity, but I really just don't know if my redshirt freshman guard who's 19 is really on the same playing field as this fucking guy who's 32 who can squat like 700 pounds. Oh my God. That is an awesome story. <laughs> I mean, that, like, isn't that great? <laughs> completely random. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that was that. I mean that was an easy one. That was an easy answer because that. I mean it's one of the most outrageous stories I've ever heard. I That's mean, crazy. The guy, the guy is older than I am. <laughs> he was play, He was playing his. I mean, he was playing his senior year of college when he, he was. I mean, I, I all I kept thinking when I was writing his story was, like, what if I was playing college football right yeah. now? Like, what if I? I mean, it's it's crazy. Like the love, just all the advantages and disadvantages, right? Like your your body's already yeah. kind of broken down. You're not in that good of shape anymore. But also like. Your level of life maturity and like, I mean, Coach Lamb used to say, I mean, this guy can bench like 550 pounds because of course he can. Well, I mean, not of course he can. No one can. But I mean, <laughs> being a grown ass man, there's no like 19 year olds that can do that. Right, so, right, right, right. I mean, pretty, yeah, pretty interesting story. <laughs> well, it's a good one to wrap that on. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's switch to listener questions. I'll start with Twitter and then you want to do what's on Yeah, because I got, because Egris is like down tonight, but I have the page Uh-oh. up. I have oh, the well, page up. So good thing. Um, it's because they're wild, wildly anticipating this yes, episode. Right? Like oh, it is down. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, see? All right. Um, Rusty, <laughs> mid-fourth rounder, um, who I believe actually is uh, one of the hosts of the Eagle Power Hour. I think so. Um, he says, where does the Grizz fan pod put Montana's recruiting class in the big sky this year? I mean, I would say, who cares? <laughs> I we're, think that people that, that I mean, we're 60th on Hero Sports. I mean, here, here's right? here's the thing. Here's the thing. UC Davis is gonna have the number one recruiting class in the Big Sky Conference for all time, for for one reason. They can't recruit out of state because the tuition is too expensive. So they're only gonna recruit in-state kids. So they're gonna and guess what? Everybody in California gets stars because if you go to a Nike camp, if you just have a, if you're breathing and you can run, you got a two-star rating. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna. I mean, to say they sign 30 kids, they're gonna sign. 30 star kids every year. So that then comparing to Montana who signs a whole bunch of kids from rural Rocky mountain Northwest who have no star ratings. It's just not what you are when you're 18 and what you become when you're 23 are totally different. And I think that Montana, the Montana schools prioritize development so much. And that's going to be the tale. I mean, it's cool for somebody to put together something like this at, at this level, but at the same time, Given the lack of, you know, equal coverage, it it, it it almost seems like it's just not fair on another. It's, well, it's not fair, but also you're just getting such different types of kids. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, do you guys remember Dan Bowden? Mm-hmm. Of course. Like Dan Bowden was deserved no stars coming out of Knoxon High School because he was a six foot six, one hundred and ninety five pound kid who played six man football who never had played a real snap of any sport in his life. Well, then by the time Dan Bowden was a redshirt sophomore, Dan Bowden's like 250 pounds, yeah. and he's playing three sports. Yeah. Like that yeah, sort right. of development. Team, I mean, yeah. he placed at the track meet uh-huh. in the indoor, and I was playing basketball. And like, so what the kids are now and what they become, especially Montana kids, is just you can't compare Different it. Um, Danny Martin asks, most important question out there, who do you have in a brawl? The 6'7", 220-pound Eastern Washington basketball player or the 5'1", 105-pound UM cheerleader? Well, the way that Kim Aiken flopped, I don't know. I mean, I think he <laughs> was scared already. See, but... they should have given him a flop. Warning. And I think I we mean... verified she was actually 90 pounds, not 105. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and he was standing on our feet. You know, get him out of here. Um, <laughs> and actually, he asks a follow-up question, which I actually already asked you as well, but should the, best, should the refs have reviewed the tape before jumping to conclusions and kicking out the male cheerleader? 
I mean, they, yeah, they should have. They should have done a lot probably. of things. Hard to say. Um, Brian Marceau, who you know is one of those yep. Idaho podcasters. Hi, Brian. Um, he he will listen all the way to the end. Everybody else has turned it oh, off. Yeah, anyway. he is dedicated. He this guy he is like the podcast aficionado. He listens to Two Tail and the Wannas. He listens to the Big Sky Breakdown. He makes his own podcast. He listens to this podcast. He sometimes hosts some of the other the Big Sky. Uh, yeah, the, he's, yep. he's he's definitely and he's got a brain for Big <laughs> and Sky he's, basketball. He's offered us a place to stay if we go if to the, we Eastern, go to the Eastern, Eastern game. game. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he says, imagine a post-apocalyptic world, apocalyptic world where Montana has fourteen combined D one wins over two football seasons and almost two basketball seasons. What does this world look like, and how have you all survived? <laughs> this is such a – I was thinking about this. This is Idaho Vandals this universe is, right now. I, I, I know, and I was thinking about this. This is why covering the University of Montana and why following them, and in your guys' case being a fan of it, is it's – you guys should feel so lucky. The Grizz have had one losing season in football since 1985, and – People were having brain aneurysms. I was going to say. Or we're going six we and five, about you know? this dark period, and it's like. Right. Like, Bob Stitt had three straight winning records, and it was the most egregious, worst hire in the history of UM football, <laughs> and, like, we got to run this guy out of town. And, like, I mean, shit, he made the playoffs once. Like, is Idaho ever going to make the playoffs? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll get it rolling once they get rid of Well, now Petrino. that Petrino's son's gone, he'll probably carry it. But, and, like, the Lady Grizz. I mean, like, the Lady Grizz have been – just horrendously bad compared to every team that came before them. Mm-hmm. Yet they, I mean, like they were rock bottom the last two years, and they fit, still finished seventh and eighth. I was gonna say they're still like halfway up. The they're not standing. winning two games like Southern Utah or like you know four games like Northern Arizona. It's a whole different level. I mean, I, first of all, I think the University of Montana has such great advantages that I don't even think it would be possible to reach that yeah. level. Good point. I, I don't know how I don't think I just don't think it would be possible because you'd have to consistently start losing to all the like all the bad teams. All of them. Yeah, and I just I just don't, I don't think it would be possible. But if in his scenario if that <laughs> happened, I mean, yeah, post-apocalyptic is the right I was word because say, there's uh, so many other things going on that. We I mean, man, could you imagine like what like actually truly like if if a, if the Grizz had a coach that people believed in like Bobby Houck and they and they went one and ten? Can you imagine? Oh my god, no. No, no. I mean, I wouldn't want to be that poor coach. I mean, because M- Missoula is about as big of a town as you can get for a college town, right? I mean, this is about as populated as a, like a true college Before town can it be, right? Other than just like I mean, you got places like Fort Collins, Colorado, that have college town elements, but like there's not a college town anymore. It's a it's a city with a college in it. Sure. And like Spokane with Gonzaga, like about a hundred thousand people in Missoula. That's about as big as a college town can get. If there was a one in ten, man, I mean, we know how it goes. It, we, you guys do real estate, like it affects literally everybody's business. It affects everybody's attitudes. Like, oh yeah, I pound the pavement during the day as a salesperson for Missoula Broadcast Company. I cannot tell you how much better of a mood every person downtown is in when I mean the Grizz won ten games this year. All of a sudden, the doors open at every single bar and restaurant downtown. Everybody wants to talk to me because they want to know what's going on with the Grizz. When the Grizz are losing, it just it's bad. So if that ever actually happened here, I mean, we have to move. You know, 
I always make fun of Brent and everybody else who's been in a fraternity for, you know, buying friends. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like I'm buying access to you by advertising on your show. It's like, would you still respond to my text messages if I wasn't advertising on the show? He doesn't well, I text mean, me. I we're, 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 uh, we're grooming you for uh, your once and future place. Well, I was going to say, I didn't bring it up, but is, was tell anxious about you coming here or did you not tell him? So, but here's the thing, though. Uh, here's <laughs> because, the thing. I mean, it's like, it may have been Tutel and Tucker. And well, see, but now, Luana's, see, see and you're, Luana's a Nugent. It's you're, coming. You're nailing your, your real role because when you've come co-host with me before, I become the one and you become the two. Mm-hmm. But now you're you're really showing your ability as the one, which is write this time down. Which is, is ex- which is exactly what <laughs> it's exactly hours, what we need because uh, me being the one is my nightmare. We are definitely gonna troll uh, Ryan to tell with this moment. Yeah, I know. The thing <laughs> is though that Ryan gives such little care about his destiny in life that I bet if it does. happened, he would just go on tour with Rage Against the Machine and then move to like Nicaragua <laughs> or something. Love it. Um, <laughs> is, uh, did we able to pull up the Egris? Oh, I got them in front of me. Yeah, I pulled them up before the site went down. So I think we got the Twitter ones. Uh, okay, I did get a text here. We're gonna we're gonna kind of okay. hop back and forth okay. between uh, basketball and so uh, question from Jay here. Um, say the Grizz men's hoops uh, wins the conference and goes to the Big Dance. What seed do you think they land? His guess is fifteen or sixteen. Andy Katz had him today as a number sixteen seed going to Spokane to play Gonzaga. Ouch. Which I actually think is better than going to Wichita, Kansas to play Michigan. Yeah, I was gonna say I would take as far as ones go. I. I would take San Diego State first and Gonzaga. I mean, yeah. Ouch. Okay. Whatever. But the, At this point, but, I'm just so thrilled with the Grizz season. Yeah, for that, sure. For yeah. sure. Here's here's the thing. The the Grizz, I think, they're the, one of the most detrimental factors that nobody talks about is that they've had to go to weird places. If they got a draw, going to Spokane, no matter who you play, would be better. Because people could go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't gone to the last two because it's been so expensive. I mean, it was like two thousand dollars to go to Wichita, Kansas last year. <laughs> you know, because it was such a it's such a short turnaround. Where if it's in Spokane or Salt Lake, we could just go. I also think that playing a non Power Five, even though Gonzaga is obviously an awesome program, it's just different. You get West Coast guys. You get not. Mm-hmm. You get not Big Ten guys. You know, and it's just a different level of physicality, different style. So we'll see. But the thing is, though, the Big Sky's RPI right now is seventeenth as a conference, which is higher than it was the last two years. Hmm. We so, talked about that last, last week on the, yeah, on the yeah. Idaho pod where, cause I was bitching about, you know, one of my favorite topics, which is I hate half this conference, but uh, I mean, we, we were you and I agree on that. Behind. It's so frustrating because it's like, if UM wins and wins the tournament, they're probably going to get a lower seed, but it's like, if they would have had last year's team with this year's RPI, they probably don't get stuck playing Michigan two years in a row. Yeah. Exactly. So that's just killer. <laughs> it's killer. It's it's stupid is what it is. Okay. All right, PDX Grizzly has fired in a handful of uh, – so we're moving over to football here. Um, sees the uh, starting QB as Cam Humphrey's job to lose. Do Does anyone here see him realistically being pushed? Oh, I, absolutely. Absolutely. I will – I think I've already said this once, but I would – like if you said Humphrey or the field – to start game one, I'm taking the field, I think. Mm. I'm not. I've heard enough about Bobby talking about the importance of senior quarterbacks. Yeah, but you are also such a lover of upperclassmen. <laughs> I am, but so is Bobby Houck. Yeah, well, that's fair. <laughs> that's true. Uh, 
we I won't name names, but I know that there are certain people on the offensive coaching staff that love Chris Brown. So this See, this so this is something we talked about with the the movement of Garrett Graves' defense, which Garrett Graves showed this last season that as a special teams player he needs to be on the field. Right. But Bobby has said publicly that he is exclusively playing defense this spring. And I think that's enough belief in Chris Brown that yes. Patterson well, coming in as an unknown off of, you know, missing a season yeah. on a bum knee, that they believe they've got a at least a number two in Brown and even if not further. Brown already. started Brown started traveling when Sneed got hurt as the number two. And then right. he kept he kept suiting up the rest of the season. Yeah, like he was clear at that point that it's like I don't care what they're saying about Graves. I even asked him about it at a QB club yeah. once, and they kind of laughed it off. Yeah, but they it's, did. It's like, um, he, yeah, I I Brown to me, um, he's got the best arm in the program. Although I guess I don't know about this Patterson kid or but, Rostad or Rostad, but um. We'll see how the we'll see how they came in. Ross has not gonna be in the mix next year. I, I don't. I don't. That's, Ross has probably gonna be playing linebacker. Or but it's or like two. we we watched him in fall camp. You guys, the listeners, of this pod have heard us talk about him. I mean, he he looked better than a true freshman should look to me. So that's what I'd say about that. All right. They just so, need, I, to, to me. I agree with you. Chris Brown's got the best arm. He's just got to figure. They not, not he. They got to figure out if he can handle the pressure. So in our uh, Brent, our our. You know, every time there's a Grizz QB competition steak dinner uh, bet, <laughs> I'll take Brown. Okay. So who are you taking? Uh, Cam. Okay. Yeah. Which means Coulter, who's just the third man in here, gets Patterson. Patterson. So here's the thing. <laughs> it's going to be – this is going to come down to, to me, I think, how well can they run the ball. Mm-hmm. Because if they can run the ball well, I think they go with Humphrey because he's steady. Mm-hmm. If they need to fabricate some more stuff – or they, I don't know. I mean – if they're going to try to win games next year with Sammy and Cam and Samari Torre, then I think you go with Brown. I mean, he's throw a deep ball. So, would you take Patterson? I have no or idea. Or would you take Jacob Sermon? Oh, man. Is if he, Jacob Sermon transfers in, that's a whole different conversation. Cy <laughs> Sermon's working down at Stockton's Bar, and I was talking to him the other day, and uh, I asked him if he was coming, and he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. So, okay. is, is he the new Kessman? Oh, you paid more attention to Egris than I thought. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was on Egris before you probably. I've been posting no, on. No, e- I doubt Kessman that. I mean, I don't know, man. Legend. I've been posting on Egris since I was like 14 years old. I used to, I used to have multiple usernames. Well, now that they rile shut- people up on there. Oh, now that man. they shut down your Alpha Grizz account, you just. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we thought it, when I was like a junior and senior in high school, we used to think that was the funniest thing ever, man. We used to go nuts. I would have to go back and look. But Egress is down right now. I think I joined in like 02. Yeah. When uh, yeah, I was right um, there. I was the, North, the Northern eight. Iowa game, with, playoff game, when the guy punched uh, the Decoit kid in the, in the junk, mm-hmm. that was when I joined. Um, okay. PDX, more questions. Who is going to be the next Dante Olsen on defense? Nobody. Who will be that's a, <laughs> the next That's a rational thing. journalist answer. I mean. Jace Lewis. Sure. Sure. There's no Dante. I am so interested to see what Dante Olsen does in the combine. Oh, yeah. I grew up with Jordy Tripp my whole life. He's one of my brother's good friends. I Brock Coyle is a good friend of mine, too. I know Kendrick Van Akron. <laughs> I mean, these these dudes are great players. Dante Olsen's so far away the best linebacker the Grizz have ever had, in and my I, opinion, in terms of physical talent. Well, we agree with you. I mean, we were bordering on hyperbole the last half of this year talking about how you need to – 
appreciate that we're watching the best linebacker to ever play at UM finish his career. We, I mean, yeah. we, we, we're talking about recruiting so much in this deal. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you can't project. Yep. You can't project right. the six foot three skinny kid from a tiny high school who then becomes, I mean, he's a freak. And if he yep. puts up the numbers that Nicholson, Matt Nicholson says he can, I mean, he's going to get drafted in like the top 100 picks. So there is no, I'm going to be so interested to see. Montana's run an incredibly unique scheme mm-hmm. the last couple of years because Dante also can play multiple gaps at once. That's very unorthodox. And Jace Lewis learned how to do it too. But can Jace Lewis do it when he doesn't have Dante Olsen Dante next to him? That's going to be the interesting part. Who's the next guy after that? I, well, they well, like well, Wellnow. Well, yeah. And so that that could be an interesting one. But, man, it's going to be so fascinating because I mean, they could run such a they – they ran such a risky defense because of Dante Olsen and Robbie Houck. Mm-hmm. I know people give Houck so much – Flack for his lack of ability in pass coverage. It's not his job. He's a he runs the alley. Yeah. He's a linebacker. Like multiple coaches in the league call Robbie Houck the linebacker. Yeah. Like when they say we love Montana's three linebackers and they talk about Lewis Olson and Houck. Oh, wow. He's wow. just the he's the middle linebacker that plays fifteen yards deep. <laughs> Interesting. What um what I what was really telling to me was when when Olson won the, the Buchanan and his, his speech. I mean he. He gave something that I really think that if I was UM Sports Information, I would have taken it and cut it and put it on loop and basically sent it to every recruit that they offered. And that was basically he, – he basically told Hauk that this wouldn't have happened if they hadn't hired him. And that yes. he was so glad he wanted to come back and be a Grizzly. And it just it's amazing mm. about, you know, just like these guys and all these things have to go right. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's so amazing, man. And I think about that all the time. You just never know what your fit is going to be, and that's what's so unique about the Montana programs too. Is there some dudes who just come to play here? They're going to play for anybody. Like I talked about this with Josh Sandry so much this year. Sandry's like, man, I was going to play for the Grizz no matter what. If I got a chance to play for the Grizz, I was going to play for the Grizz. And like, right. it sucked when we were not as good as I wanted us to be. And then when Coach Out came in and brought back what I grew up loving, it changed everything. But I mean, there's there's so many what if guys like that, you know. Sure, or, I sure. mean, how it all goes down the line. Like, Rob Ash is not a defensive coach. What if some of those defensive guys though got to play for Choate? Yep. Mm. Fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, or vice versa. You just you never know. What's going to fascinate me with Dante, his combine numbers and whatnot, is like as a as a Packer fan, I watched Mike's Forty ers uh, completely run, you know, sideline to sideline all over Green Bay and Green Bay media post game dissected. They, they, the Packers have a Dante Olsen-type linebacker, Blake Martinez, who mm-hmm. led the NFL in tackles. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying Dante and Martinez are the same kind of guys, but they were pointing out Martinez is a free agent, and they're going to let him go. Because uh, that's be- the Green Bay way. Well, it's the Green Bay way. They're also tight on cap, and he's going to get a ton of money because someone's going to fall in love with his tackles. But if you watch him, he can't play pass coverage, and he can't go sideline to sideline. And so that's going to be a really interesting thing to look at Dante. And there was a lot of articles following saying these linebackers that, that – that, that have all the, that are physical freaks, but can't defend these San Francisco type offenses and teams like the Chicago bears try to run it, but Mitch Trubisky sucks. So it's like, um, that's going to be this, like what that new linebacker is going to be more and more like that athletic mm-hmm. side to side freak, much more than just the dude that gets all the tackles. Yep. So uh, Dante's combine is going to be fascinating because if he can show he's got 
that going in addition to some of his big numbers too, then he'll buck really that small school thing. But uh, it's going to be interesting to look at. Next 37, though, um, I don't know. I would assume it's Chase Lewis. I can't. I, there's the debate, right? Robbie Houck, but he was He's born in Colorado no, he, and he went to high school somewhere else. I, and, and I just don't think that they can give it to Robbie Houck. I just. Why? Nepotism? Yeah. I think Bobby Houck gives a shit about nepotism. He wasn't born in Montana. Dude. <laughs> Bobby Houck just cares so little about that. I mean, don't you understand that Bobby Houck lives in a world where the only rules that exist are the ones that he makes? Yes, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think of it. But, I mean, I, I mean, on one hand, I kind of agree. But on the other hand, like, what is Montana all about? They want the good internal publicity. I mean, what's yeah. what's a better story than the head coach's kid wearing the designated hitter's number that his uncle basically his invented? Uncle. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will uh, Alex Hurl- Hurlbert get any meaningful snaps this year? Man, this is that. I think this is such a tough question. On one hand, I have so much respect for the kid. I have to see him play in a Division One game before I. Yeah. A part of me thinks that he has no chance. Period. And a part of me thinks that he might be able to use his limitation, I guess we'll say, mm-hmm. as a non-limitation. I think that – I mean, I don't know. On, on one hand, I really don't know how you can compete against a Division One offensive tackle with with only one and a half arms. But – On mean, the other hand, it's less of you to block. Yeah. And his spin move is nasty. And, I mean, you watch the kid – Lift. I mean, he has no limitation when it comes to strength. I mean, he's. Oh, my God. So it's probably, in my mind, it's one of two things. And obviously, you know, his. One of his role models is the guy from the Seahawks. Griffin. But I think it's one of two things. I think it's either. You're right, Coulter. Like maybe, maybe he never really plays meaningful time here, D1. Or they got such a steal based on, yeah. you know unintended uh, discrimination of sure you know, of who he is. And I hope that's the way it goes. Like, I hope that he just freaking balls. <laughs> I mean, Coney Dole, who played at Montana State with the cheetah blade, he was the kid from mm-hmm. Huntley that lost yeah. his leg. Yeah. I mean, he was a D1 guy all the way until that happened. Yeah. And he made it at Montana State for, I think he made it to the end of his redshirt sophomore year, and he even covered a couple of kicks, but he just was never quite there. But I do think that the leg is different than the arm. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, he, they could have just never put him in a game because people just would have ISO'd a slot receiver on him because he couldn't backpedal off that cheetah blade. Mm. But this, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the best case situation for a Hurlbert, especially initially, is just as a pass rush specialist. Because if he doesn't – I mean, I think that teams could exploit him not being able to set the edge mm-hmm. and stuff, but – if all he's got to do is just go nuts and use that sweet spin move and he's got less to block, I mean, to me, it seems like it, he could use it as an advantage. Yeah. Okay. All right. We are we're getting close to three hours. Man. Uh, what a deal. I got a few more questions here. Uh, Everett Grizz, we asked one of his about how many girlfriends James has to buy Valentine's cards for. <laughs> it was six hours ago when this pod started. Everett asked. Yeah, James is seven years old now. He's got uh, eight <laughs> girlfriends. Everett asked how buzzed I was after my first beer. If I had two beers and a whiskey, and I was hungover. And he cheated. Two hours. He I, drank I, before I, the end of January. Two hours to go. Yep. He tr- he sent us a picture. <laughs> and he said, "Hey." I've officially, I'm officially done. And yeah. I tried to be like, no, uh, you can't yeah. give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, Everett does ask where we would put Travis DeCure in the long list of like, where would you rank him in the list of great Grizzly basketball coaches? I'm going to say this, and then Coulter can say whatever he wants. If Travis DeCure can win a game in the tournament, I put him as the best Grizz coach ever. And I know that's dramatic, but look at his tenure. I mean, he's reinvented this team twice. And I understand, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got your podcast of all these great coaches and there's all these different things. But to me, from the complete package and being consistently, like they lost four seniors from probably the best two-year run. At least in terms of wins, it is the best two-year run. And here they are two-thirds of the way through the season still in first place. Yep. With three true freshmen. Yep. You know, I think that he just, if he can get a win in the tournament, I think it changes the whole narrative. Over Mike Montgomery. Yeah. Mike Montgomery never even went to the NCAA tournament. How about that? That's true. Mike Montgomery lost in the Big Sky Tournament Championship game four times, but he never went to the NCAA tournament. I guess it's kind of like how Larry Koshoviak never won as a player. Because he played for Mike Montgomery. Because he played for Montgomery. Yeah. Ugh. Plug for the Grizz Grits podcast. Please go check it out. I guarantee you that every single person that's listening to this will like that so much. It's so historical. It's so entertaining. All those guys are so – they were gracious with their time. They're great storytellers. They're great personalities. But And I learned so much. As somebody that's loved University of Montana men's basketball my whole life, I learned a ton too. So many of the coaches in the tree are so hard to analyze because of all the – so much of their resumes are – like Mike Montgomery – was so much more successful after he left Montana, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Stanford wasn't relevant before Mike Montgomery went there. He led him to the Final Four. Then he went and coached in the NBA. He was competitive at Cal. You know, Blaine Taylor was the all-time leader in wins at Old Dominion. Yeah, Jim Brandenburg, epic career at Wyoming, the greatest Wyoming basketball coach of all time. Brandenburg's interview was fascinating. And it has to come with the caveat that the guy's 85. I know. Well, it's I mean, the greatest just, podcast produced by an 85-year-old ever. Yeah. I mean, he was 85, and it was fascinating, and he was very honest and, He's and very blunt. Honest. So, bl- so like, blunt and borderline offensive, and it was it was a sign of the times. It was great. I was going to say, it's like I, I think if anybody was offended by it, I really think they're kind of misunderstanding it. But he, he basically talked about how the UM started recruiting African-American players. Had to. And – I think I'm Michael Ray Richardson. Yeah, I mean, but, absolutely. but he was just blunt. It's like absolutely. He said it. it's like when we started recruiting black kids. Totally. I mean, like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Right, right. <laughs> and like Stu Morrill, I mean, he has he had one of the great mid-major resumes in the history of college basketball at Utah State. I mean, their run at Utah State was unbelievable. They had four 30-win seasons. They had mm-hmm. 18, 20-win seasons. That's incredible. And Kristoviak was such a flash in the pan here, but won that NCAA tournament game. Tinkle. But he got us kick-started again. Absolutely. And, and Tinkle was so interesting because Tinkle was so stuck in the mud for like four years. I was going to say, yeah, he struggled. He and then turned the corner and had some of the greatest players in program history like Kareem Jamar and, and Will Cherry. Which is maybe a lesson for us judging Shannon. But totally. conversation for another day. The, uh, the league is so much different now than when those guys were in it. It's a lot weaker there isn't Nevada and Boise State and Idaho. I guess Idaho's back, but they weren't. They're not. I mean, people forget Idaho was a perennially top twenty-five team in the late eighties and early nineties in yeah. in basketball. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was a huge rivalry. Yeah. He, I mean, when they had Orlando Lightfoot and stuff in the early nineties, I mean, mm-hmm. beating Idaho. I mean, like going to Idaho and winning was. I mean, that's like going to. 
I don't know, San Diego State, not right now because San Diego State's really rolling, but like like that was even just a couple years ago. I think that DeKir has to win a game in the tournament. He's got to prove it because right now Travis has recruited some of the greatest players Montana's had, certainly. I think he's the most consistently high-level recruiter Montana's ever had. But the reason the Grizz win games is, is for one reason and one reason alone. Because Travis gets them to play their absolute asses off for 20 league games. No one else in the league plays their asses off for 20 league games. And it's why. And there's some teams like Southern Utah who play their asses off for six league games. Mm-hmm. They just happen to have four of them be in the tournament, and they ruin the whole bracket every year because <laughs> they decide to play hard when they get to Boise yeah. or Reno. But, or Portland State who plays hard against Montana. But no. Exactly, 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 exactly. But uh, I just uh, – I don't know. I think it's so hard to judge, but I think that as of right now, until – Secure fulfills his his whole journey here, and and you know retrospective history will probably treat him well if if and when he leaves. It's Judd Heathcote. It's Judd Heathcote. I mean, okay. I mean, he got to this. I mean, Judd Heathcote won a game in the NCAA tournament and then lost by three points to UCLA. UCLA. And UCLA yeah. had won eight of the last ten national championships. It was the last John Wooden team. Mm-hmm. I mean, that right there, to me, he started this whole thing. And then if you talk about the way that retrospective history enhances your career. I mean, he freaking recruited Magic Johnson and won a national championship at Michigan yeah. State. So I think, well, I think, but I mean, I'm not talking about post Montana. No, sure, sure. But I, I just, it's, and it's, it wasn't a 64 team field. It, just absolutely, that out there. absolutely. It's, it's just, it's almost, it's impossible to, to really rank anything without having the full scope of it, right? Yeah, sure. Like when we were doing our All Decade team for Grizz football, what Jordan Tripp and Brock Coyle were when they were here was so enhanced then by what they became and how they, sure, sure. what they did in the NFL. We won't be able to really rank Dante Ellison among them until Dante Ellison's career is over. I think we think that it's going to be better, but yeah. we don't know. We yeah. don't know? Okay. All right, final question. Coulter, speaking to Lady Grizz fans, you're mm. on your deathbed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you see God, and he or she tells you that you can get into heaven if you answer one question. Honestly. So this is what most of our user listener questions. This is are, this right? is what everybody wants to know. Yeah. Are you a grizz or a cat? I mean, this is. <laughs> we can, I can go over twenty more minutes about the answer to this question. So I'll keep it as short as I possibly can. So many people that are listening to this podcast are people that grew up in Montana that have lots of family roots in Montana. I have family roots in Montana on my mom's side, but there was then two or even three generations of my mom's side of the family that didn't live here. So my mother's grandmother was the first quote-unquote decent woman in the state of Montana. She was the first non-prostitute. She moved to Helena during the gold rush, and she was like one of the first people to live in Helena. Her husband had moved her there after he had struck gold, whatever it was. So, um, and then I have butte roots from that side of the family, but then that basically ceased in the 1920s. My grandmother on my mother's side, my mother, and then me, we were not born in Montana and spent no time in Montana. My dad's side of the whole family is from Arizona. My grandfather was born in Arizona in 1909 before Arizona was even a state. It was still part of Mexico. So the cat grizz thing was completely absent from our family. My mom knew about Butte and Helena from mm-hmm. stories from her grandmother, but knew nothing of Missoula or Bozeman when we first moved to Montana. We moved to Montana in 1993. My parents didn't go to college. I'm the first person from my family to have a college degree. And this will probably surprise a lot of people. My parents were sort of into sports, but not crazy sports fans at all. My parents went to a 
private boarding school in Sedona, Arizona. They were the only two non-rich kids to go there. The only reason my dad got to go there is because his dad was the horse trainer there. The only reason my mother got to go there is her father had just passed away and her mom decided to use her college fund to send her to private boarding school in high school. So at this school, there was no sports. My parents did not play sports growing up. My mom was a ballroom dancer. My dad did Taekwondo. There was no team sports involved. All the love that we have for sports, my brother and I, is completely 100% cultivated on our own. In our life, then we taught our dad to really like the NBA and football and stuff like that. My parents did not start going to Grizz games until our friends started playing. They, there was no direct allegiance to anything. This is all self-taught. So my neighbors growing up started taking me to Grizz games. I remember watching the national championship game at the Wilma in 1995. That was one of my first Grizz memories. And then my buddy Colin Boyle started taking me to games. He lived down the street when I was like 10. But again, my parents had no involvement in this. When Montana State beat Montana in 2002 to snap the streak, I remember thinking, man, this Bobcat team's pretty good too. This is pretty cool. And so I started following the Cats super heavily too. This when I was like 13 years old. So at that moment in my life, I loved both teams. I thought they were both great. And then in college, I was absolutely probably the most diehard Grizz fan you've ever seen. I drove across the country to Chattanooga, Tennessee without stopping two years in a row to watch all my boys play. Uh, it was definitely the most depressing drive back both years. <laughs> Been there. Uh, and then, you know, as soon as I started working at the Missoulian, I just naturally and intentionally and professionally started distancing myself from the fandom. And I have now basically trained my brain to have no real rooting interest in anything. And the only team I root for now at all is the Minnesota Vikings. That's it. And uh, so when people ask me, what am I, who do I root for? We have no allegiance to any of this stuff. So I root for the kids across the board. I don't want any kid to fail. And I'll say it like this. My degree says the University of Montana. I got pictures of the University of Montana all over my house. I have all sorts of old school memorabilia from the University of Montana. My roots in covering the Big Sky Conference come from the University of Montana. It's a part of me for sure. And I will always be very, very proud of being a University of Montana alum. That said, I think that everything that's happened in the transition of the modern world over the last 10 years is pretty crazy. And if you were to ask me where I would align myself as a fan or as a follower or you know how I would evaluate all this if I just would have moved to Montana eight years ago, I think Montana State has just kicked the shit out of Montana and pretty much everything. And it's sad to say because I think it really hurts uh, so many different elements of, of all of our lives. But think that montana has got it back on the right track and you know i mean if i was just if i had to tell god to get into heaven <laughs> i mean i'm telling them that i'm a grizz but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything more than just that's what uh that's what's in me but now you know i just i don't know what i would do i don't know what how i would think <laughs> if i wouldn't have had it you, know, you, you can't really choose where your parents move when you're six years old you know what i mean huh. and uh I don't know. I think that a lot of the vitriol and all the stuff that is attached to the rivalry is fun, but also unhealthy, and it's interesting. But uh, you know, as far as who do I root for, nothing but the kids and the good stories. How do I align myself? I think that both universities and athletic departments have done a great deal for my career, and I wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast without both of them. But I mean, my degree says Montana, and I'm a Missoula native, and I have great pride in both those things. So. God was asking me. I think that's the answer. I hope all the Bobcat fans can understand that. 
the odds of them listening. At hour three? I can't believe we got to three hours. <laughs> oh, that's what happens when you come Are we at Christ three time. hours or are we under? No, we're there. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Hey, Coulter, thank you. This was tremendously fun. I Anybody that's out there that actually listened to this entire thing. <laughs> there will be. I love I love you for doing it. Luke, Luke Rounds will be done with it by <laughs> tomorrow afternoon. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's good stuff. Uh, Brent, anything else you want to add? Good to go. Coulter, anything else from you? Mm-mm. All right. Hey, go to the Grizz game this uh, Thursday. It's a whiteout. They, they need the support. And uh, for those that are still listening, we've been talking about carrying Grizz fan pod forward. Uh, and so we're planning to probably do a few more centered around spring ball. And so we'll probably have some more stuff as as spring uh, camp arrives. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably maybe, I don't know, we haven't really talked planning, but maybe do something in the middle. And then because uh, typical how spring camp you do two and then you take spring break and then you come back, and you do two more. And I think they have a friday night scrimmage in hamilton yep so uh we'll probably plan we'll one, be down if there. not to surrounded uh, uh built around that yeah should be good if we know you we will uh see you sooner if not we'll catch you next time go grizz fight on <laughs>